For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. Welcome to the exciting world of the movies. Hello, Happy New Year from the movie graveyard. You know, I have a real optimistic feeling about 2023, Bat. I think you do too, because I think we're going to be on a mission here to bring Kino back alive. The year of the Kino? I think it is. I think yeah. I think 2020 to 2022 was the era, the dawn of streaming and episodic television. Mm-hmm. And now that that bubble has burst and everything's going away as quick as it showed up, that was kind of like the, the Kino dies tonight era. And now, like... 2023 i'm going to say i'm going to call it all the way it's going to stretch all the way into 2026 it's going to be the rebirth in the aquino wins tonight era you think uh our uh our director of the film we're covering tonight mr vincent gal do you think he's going to make a rise like a phoenix rising from the ashes and become the greatest film director Hollywood's ever seen this I mean, year? I would assume so. Like, I would say <laughs> this would film great, we're covering though. tonight, Buffalo 66, I would say this film alone catapults him up there with Scorsese and Coppola. He just doesn't have the, Absolutely. Yeah, he just... No, this uh, some Kubrick. I mean, this is, yeah. like, I don't know what he did. The I mean, we'll get into it, but, like, the film he used and everything and what he tried to do is, like, real reminiscent of... Um, and I don't like this film very much, but I appreciate what went into it. Uh, Kubrick's Barry Lyndon. Yeah. I think it's very similar to that. Uh, you know, obviously Kubrick went a little bit further trying to use the certain lenses and light everything by candlelight. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, an insane undertaking. But this is still, for an in, on an independent level, I mean, pretty exactly. impressive. So, yeah. So we're going to roll right into it. We have it paused at the very first frame of the movie, which is a photo of a child holding a puppy, and there's some text on the screen. Like, no company logos. This is not... Okay, it, bat. There's no, like... Uh, Just mo- jumps right into it. Yeah, it's there's, like, there's, there's no... Here it is. Yeah, there's no corporate logos that get yeah. in the way of us enjoying yep. Kino right here. Like, you hit right. play on this disc. You're into the movie. So, yeah, it's a little boy holding a puppy. It says, Billy Brown. That's the main character. We're seeing him as yep. a child. He's age seven in this photo. He was born 12-26-1966, hence the title Buffalo 66, because uh-huh. he was born in Buffalo, New York. And it's letting you know this photo is a picture of him with his dog, Bingo. Weird coincidence. The director was also born in Buffalo. I wonder if this is a bio, like some biopic stuff here. I think so, because I uncovered we'll some facts. <laughs> yeah, I uncovered some facts yeah. about it. But uh, I'm going to say one, two, three, go. And when you hear me say go, please hit uh, play on your emotes or click uh, the left click or right click, whichever one it is on your cursors. Um, so, yeah, everybody, one, two, three, go. And there was, there was actually around this time, there was a soundtrack album, which I had. And then also, oh, wow. uh, Vincent. You did have the soundtrack. Yeah. Like, I still have it somewhere. I just got to find it. Um, Not the uh, vinyl. I was looking yeah. on his website, Mr. Gallows, and I saw that there was a vinyl press, but it's like, it was. he wanted a lot for it, and it's long mm-hmm. out of uh, print. So, yeah. sucks. I also bought his CD that he had at the time. It, it was, um, he released a CD of experimental kind of ambient music, and uh, I had that too. And, well, if you look on his website, apparently he's got a lot of CD. He's put he out does. a lot of different stuff, he came actually. Out he, yeah, yeah. He, he started out as a, 
as an artist and musician, painting and being involved mm-hmm. in music and bands in the 1980s in New York. So he's actually quite a pretty prevalent, renowned painter in the 80s, apparently. Um, yeah. And I'm guessing that was where he was making his money. But I heard him. I don't know if it was the Stern. I think it was that Stern Howard Stern interview. He's, or maybe it was another one, but uh, where he had said, you know, basically that um, he's never had a problem making money, but the painting stuff was getting to the point to where he got out of it because he was going to have to start borrowing money if he stayed in that business. Yeah. So I guess it wasn't profitable around the end for him. Well, he was he was really around the, and I've heard him talk about it a little bit, but he was really around and he was friends with uh, Jean-Michel Basquiat who was, mm-hmm. like, a really famous... Like, it was, like, the time when, like, the street artists were getting, like, very popular and their very crude yeah. paintings were selling for big money. And he actually, you know, whatever, 10, 15 years after uh, Basquiat's death, he actually had a small role in the film about him, which actually is a very good movie. I highly recommend Basquiat, starring Jeffrey Wright as Jean-Michel Basquiat. But, uh, so, like, yeah, and Basquiat was around Madonna before she got big and stuff. Yep. So, I mean, it was that whole New York arts music crew was very mm-hmm. small world at the time. And uh, Vincent Gallo was a part of that. <laughs> but um, it was really... Well, he's uh, still kind of a part of it because yeah. there's photographs. Like, he's doing been doing photo work. If you go to his website, uh, you can actually buy a signed uh, photo of Gaspar Nose uh, with his junk out. Actually, oh, okay. did you see that? I didn't yeah. see that one, but I saw some other photos yeah. for sale. There's... There's a whole uh, Gaspar No series, and <laughs> and one of them is Gaspar standing proudly with his hands on his uh, waist, okay, uh, with no pants on. Gaspar No, the the the, yeah. the man behind the genius Kino of Irreversible. Yeah, another Kino fucking you know classic uh, director there. Like they all kind of travel in packs, you know. So. So I think when you watch this movie, Buffalo 66, you know you're in for some Kino with the very stark, uh, one pretty much color, very basic main opening titles, very reminiscent mm-hmm. of Kubrick. But then we get some beautiful uh, imagery of uh, Billy Brown coming out of prison, and it's very stark and harsh winter, New York winter, and then he goes and he sits on a bench, and we get a really <laughs> awesome, like, photo collage, like, within 20 yeah, seconds. Yeah, well, it's not even a photo. There's actually, it's actually, like, more footage, like, actual yeah. live footage all just collected there, and I, I remember seeing that being, like, early aspiring filmmaker, and I'm like, hmm, that's interesting, like, how did he do that? And um, obviously I'd never seen, like, Chelsea, Chelsea Girls or anything like that where, there's other like there's multiple uh shots running at the same time on your screen like uh i think we talked about that i I could have sworn i talked about that with you not too long ago maybe it was on the last show of that um using that type of style in your film i don't know if it works for a feature you know to have yeah i mean probably not for extended periods but the way gallo usually here like i feel like we got his because yeah, we just see this guy walking out of jail. We know nothing about him. And then th- that montage, right. it pretty much sums up the last five years in prison for him. And there's a few mm-hmm. more flashbacks to prison later on. But, like, we see how lonely he was and just mopping floors and crying in the shower. So we know this wasn't a guy who was, like, a tough guy in jail or whatever. Like, he was very much in pain and not enjoying being in prison, you know? It's interesting you bring up the loneliness aspect from that footage and everything because, um, and we already said we'd probably bring this up because I don't think we'll ever cover it here, but um, 
his his film after this, which is the second feature, Brown Bunny. He yeah. talked about the whole point of that was uh, to show like the loneliness of this man. And he, um, <clears throat> I've seen some inner like because we, recently we've been trying to dig up as much dirt or whatever on Mr. Gallo, find out as much about him as possible. And like he likes being lonely. I mean, he doesn't he does. want to ever get married, and he likes that. So this is like a reoccurring theme. Um, I'm guessing within his work is uh, loneliness and that aspect of life. So, and he's really repulsed by certain women too. If you both his real life comments and the way Billy Brown acts in this film, like it's a very interesting dichotomy of a guy who enjoys the company of women, but also also he's very off putting. He, he hates them. Yeah, he fucking hates women. Well, I think it's really more turn up, turn about his fair play because like, how many women do you see like when a guy comes up to talk to them like, oh, he's so gross, he's so nasty. Like, but you don't really hear guys in general talk about women being smelly and stuff the way Vincent Gallo does. <laughs> yeah, he's uh, yeah. I think the bus station scene where he's running around, like we should mention, he was out in the cold and he needs to pee this whole time. He even asked to be let yeah. back in the jail to go pee, and they wouldn't let him. So he's been yep. holding this pee for hours. And, like, I think just that moment where he asks for the bathroom and then, like, it's off whatever, you know, it's being cleaned or it's out of service. And he goes and asks that lady, like, do you know where the bathroom is? And and then she's like, well, there's one back there. And he's like, yeah, ma'am, that one's out of service. Like, why even tell that lady? <laughs> like, it's, it's such, it's <laughs> well, such like, an thought... insight into Billy Brown, like, how fucking whiny and childlike he really is. And I think that's really... The real kind of thing of this. I love it when he goes to piss behind this car. And then I the think lady... that's the same lady he asked where the bathroom was. I thought it was to too. Car. It, it looks, looks like, like the her. same lady. Yeah. Well, I didn't notice it because um, like I told you, um, I hadn't seen this um, since VHS. And I never yeah. I never saw the DVD. And I guess I, I'm not going to say I forgot about the film. But obviously, you know, into my teenage years in the high school, I, you know, there were other stuff coming out and everything. And so... Uh, you know, if you don't see the film, you know, a- available at whatever your wherever you get your yeah. media from, then you're just like, ah, whatever. But uh, and that and that DV or that Blu-ray uh, just came out. What uh, you said, it's like a few years old, right? Ten years old. It's now? like ten years old now. Yeah, I yeah. Like I didn't even. I just got it recently, like three or four months ago. I didn't even know it was out. Like I just stumbled across yeah. something on eBay. I'm like, holy shit! You know, I just ten always bucks. assumed it was a DVD only. Ten bucks. Yeah. yeah. Very much worthwhile, honestly. It's also on uh, Tubi right now. If anybody out there, like, uh, I mean, obviously it'd be hard to follow along uh, with a commentary because they do ads, but of course it will be uncut. But yeah, if anybody out there is like, ah, I always wanted to see that. Yeah, it's on Tubi streaming for free, so. Yeah, like, like, like I just always had the impression that this movie was like a little bit bigger than it probably was. I mean, I knew it was a very small movie, and but like at the time, it, it, it I would say it was the tail end. Like whenever this came out, maybe not the tail end, but the beginning of the end of the boom of independent movies, because independent movies really boomed from like ninety three to about 99 like where there was a buzz and people were interested in him like even if they didn't see him in the theater people would rent him on video and like yeah like like i just movie these this movie for as small as it is like a million dollar movie i think it was like according like to stuff Gallo. like Subur- suburbia was pretty yeah. big yeah you're talking about like the mid 90s of course we were talking about um palookaville which uh co-stars uh, vincent gal that was a big um release right in the mid 90s yeah, independent and- yeah 
And it, there was just like a path for those movies to play a handful of theaters and then yeah. get on video. And then they would really be on cable a lot too, you know, especially right. with the boom of IFC and Sundance when those were real channels and didn't have ads oh, and yeah. shit on them. But yeah, there, there was an encounter there. He was trying to use the bathroom at this dance studio and there was a guy that was like marveling at how big his hog was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And apparently he, he, I mean, he thinks that he's got the biggest, I mean, dick. you were saying you didn't think it was, it was real and I didn't think funny, it was real, but apparently yeah. it is. But, yeah. uh, he shows up, I guess what we're talking about is he shows it off <laughs> very explicitly in the brown bunny and it always yeah. looked like a plastic dick to me, but it just, it just, there's like that weird thing and maybe it's like a Ron Jeremy thing how he always holds his dick when he has sex, but like yeah. brown bunny cuts like to a 20 different, uh, angles of his dick and he's all holding it weird and he's very carefully putting his uh tidy wise up over it i think he was trying to keep a heart on i think that's why he was holding it like that was so he could uh keep a heart on and uh yeah i finally we i talked to you i finally i watched it uh i watched half of it the night before and then finished it up well last night and i was like so that's it so that's like really the the big draw to this movie is him uh uh, blowing his load into uh, Chloe Savini's uh, mouth and her swallowing yeah. it like that's 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 the big that's draw, pretty you know, you know it, it's it's really <laughs> weird it's like I like I really compare Gallo to Scorsese but you got to chop out the majority of Scorsese's filmography like I would say like <laughs> Gallo is like Buffalo sixty six is like his taxi driver yes, yes and then like Brown Bunny is is like equivalent to Scorsese's like Kundun you know what I mean. <laughs> that's, a good, that's a good comparison yeah but yeah like i mean i think a lot of it has to do with it and i mean we'll get into it here but it's like i think a lot of it has to do with vincent gallo's personality limiting him and him also not wanting to play ball with certain things but i think if he would have been a little more uh, manageable in terms of having working relationships with studios and producers and whatnot um i i really do think he would have become one of the biggest uh independent film directors of like the early 2000s but well he doesn't he didn't want to do that and there's some of the reasons that we were talking about earlier and i'm just gonna i don't you know i don't know if you feel comfortable about getting into it but i don't really give a fuck because it is definitely an issue that's been going on in hollywood and i think what what in that maybe this is what happened is that they wanted him to do their scripts, which yeah. I could see saying to this guy, "Hey, oh, we got this script, and you know, we'll give you, we'll let you make your little independent film if you make us these three big blockbusters." And you know, the themes that I wasn't even aware of these themes are really being pushed as heavy back in the late '90s. But I mean, he alludes to it. So, is that you know, the the, the having to have a gay character? Or probably now it's a, a transvestite character in the films, and I mean we were talking, we were looking at interviews where he was like, "Yeah, basically you'll win, you'll win an Oscar, you'll win the Palme d'Or if you have these themes in your film. You'll do really, they'll do really well at the cans, but if you don't, uh, they're gonna shit on your movie." Yeah, and they like were doing that pretty, in '98. Yeah, he was pretty much talking about progressive ideals infiltrating the um the independent film world back in the late 90s uh era and like yeah it's interesting because they're they're really the, there's obviously always been all kinds of certain specialty programming in the art house scene but it was never really prevalent in terms of you know being like majority or a corporate mandate or whatever 
And, right. Um, well, it's just not blatantly being shoved. Like, they're, yeah, independent films are notorious for having these themes, but it's not like being shoved down your throat like it is today. Like, oh, you, uh, like you're reading about that Disney animated film, yeah. and there was like, I knew nothing. All I knew was that the, they were gay and there was interracial uh relationships in it but I, the, nowhere did that person state what the fucking storyline was right, right. And it's just like it doesn't matter what the storyline was because we want to um uh, we want to sell you on this this is what the whole purpose of the movie and it's like okay well then you should make a documentary then because yeah, I mean, that's what it sounds like you're trying to do you know well it's it's kind of funny too because it's like <laughs> Like a a good kind of like why probably a guy like Vincent Gallo really wouldn't as a director speaking really wouldn't fit well in that world is like um, what's amazing about Buffalo sixty six is it's it's a slow revelation about who the main character is throughout the entire movie and uh, more and more is peeled back about who this guy really is and what his life experiences are whereas like the kind of filmmaking you're talking about the um identity based filmmaking i guess i'll call it right is you need to know who that person is what their experiences is like what they've been through before you even walk through the door of the theater and like that's just not really what like classic independent cinema is about independent cinema is about character study and like you don't do a character study you don't do a two-hour film and then know everything about the character within the first five minutes. This is not the way the game works. You know? Well, I think that's that. Va- I think that <clears throat> type of storytelling is valid if there's a decent story there. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's it can't just be about if it's just about that. Then you need to make like that's what a documentary is. I mean, right. that's as far as I'm concerned. That's 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 the definition of a documentary. Right. Um, you know, where that's what's going to be presented and you know what it's presented and you're watching it because you want to be more informed about that the topic yeah. subject. Yeah. Like, um, that's not why I watch films. I don't I don't need to be informed about that community. I'm I'm fairly aware of that community. The community has been around since what? Probably the 1960s, maybe underground yeah. at that time, if not longer, probably even longer than that uh you know but yeah i mean you can't just can't make your it's just like you can't make your movie oh this movie's about monsters for like a horror film it's like yeah okay but is there a story there like it can't just be um tom savini doing all this makeup effect that's you know i guess that's just kind of my other example is like a horror movie that's just about the effects and there's no storyline there no, nobody gives a fuck about that. It, it could be they like really the greatest don't. effects, yeah. But nobody's gonna want to watch that film because I mean, maybe somebody, but you know. But yeah. Good anyway, bit. this has got the greatest line here, where he says he's gonna take a bite out of her cheek and shit <laughs> and her shit out. out. Yeah. Oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, that's my favorite line. We, we, uh, probably we ever. Yeah, we should explain that basically what he did was he kidnapped this young girl from this dance studio. And, uh, he, like, he, like, like when I first saw it, I thought he was just trying to, like, get somebody to help him get away. But he's actually, he needs yeah. a girl to come pretend to be his wife at his parents' house. So he kidnaps Christina Ricci. And, it, and, like, first he tries to, like, basically, like, you know, kidnap her and carjack her. But he can't drive her car because it's an old stick shift. And he mm. gives this long, um, this long uh, kind of monologue about, like, what is this, a shifter car? I don't drive shifter cars, okay? I don't know how to drive this, you know? I drive cars that shift themselves, you know, luxury cars? Like Cadillac? Yeah, Cadillac, Eldorado, <laughs> that's what I drive. I drive luxury cars that shift themselves. They, and, like, like honestly, like, I kind of always, like, felt like it was up there. 
But I'm just going to fucking say it, and if anybody doesn't like it, I mean, you know, everybody's entitled to opinion, but when he wants to, when he's not in the mindset of uh, making a brown bunny, when Vincent Gallo is in the mindset to make a Buffalo 66, everybody talks about the way Quentin Tarantino's dialogue just sings, and it's the best dialogue all the time. I love Quentin Tarantino. I love the dialogue in Reservoir Dogs. That's my favorite Tarantino film. But even then, like, that shit, like, doesn't even come close, doesn't even hold a candle to fucking mm-hmm. Vincent Gallo talking about cars that shift themselves. They shift themselves. Right. Well, the inter- interestingly enough, these two fucking uh, masterminds of cinema have have actually been in the same room together. And apparently Vincent Gallo uh, didn't like Quentin Tarantino and said yeah. he was an asshole. Yeah. And that was back in 2003, so when he was doing uh, Kill Bill. But I, I imagine he met him in the probably the late 90s. I would guess he probably encountered him, what, at Cannes? Uh, what, Most likely, yeah. Jackie Brown or something, maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, you think about it, and it's like, yeah, Quentin Tarantino is great and all, but like, <clears throat> the problem with Tarantino is, is that he came from this this independent '90s, yeah. um, independent film background, and he, I mean, maybe you know, if Gallo had taken all these deals and played this game, he would have fucking sold out. Because I mean, let's be for real, I mean. Tarantino kind of sold out to Hollywood, although he's not really being co-opted. That's probably maybe why he isn't doing as much either, because he's not being co-opted into uh, force feeding us these fucking, the- you know, progressive themes. Well, he just I he just doesn't have a message it. that that is selling right now. I guess I could say right. But I don't believe he's. I don't. You know. I don't think as far as you know. You brought up a good example of dialogue. I don't. I don't think he's on that level of this this right here people might laugh and go are you insane no i'm not no i'm i'm a thousand percent real right now because like right yeah i've I've seen this movie probably 20 times in my life i mean i've probably seen it more than that because i kept going back and renting that vhs like yeah uh pretty 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 much every time i went to the to that video store i rented it with my pile of movies so i could watch it again you know so I mean, I know we say it, and obviously there's a you know a thing about it, and we joke about pure Kino, but this is legitimately pure Kino. Yeah. I mean, it's it's there isn't anybody from any corporation involved in the script, the shooting, or the editing, or final you know preparation of this film. It's just one man's vision, and it's like it's just fucking awesome because it's like again like the genius, and like I'm sure a lot of people that aren't really used to like paying close attention to the films they watch, just kind of watching the more you know in your face whatever uh hollywood entertainment which i love i mean i grew up on a mix of everything but um yeah like it's so fucking genius the way he turns on a dime here because he seems like such a scary guy when he kidnaps her and shit you're like oh shit like what's what's this guy gonna do he got out of jail like maybe he's gonna rape her because she's like half naked the whole movie but the way he finally gets to go piss on that tree and then when he gets back in the car and he's like well first of all he's like so out of breath because he had to piss so bad but like then when he gets back in the car and he's like, okay, first of all, I just want to apologize. I was backed up. I had to go to the bathroom for hours. <laughs> and, the, and, and the way he fucking talks to her and he's like, I'm sorry, you know, I pulled your hair and whatever, but I really need you to help me. And, he, and the, way, the way he, like, it's the most genius dialogue. He says, basically he says, I need you to come with me to my parents. Make me look good. If you mess this up, I'll kill you. If you, if you make me look like a fool, I'll never talk to you again. Like... <laughs> Yeah, I'll and then kill he says, you, but then I'm not going to talk to you again. And I'll, I'll hold that line. He's like, 
Jesus Christ, I can't live without you. Like where you tell her, tell them about, tell her about how she needs to be with his parents. And yeah. we get this great uh, scene here on the stoop where he's like, just hold me, just hold me. Ah, don't touch me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Did you hold me? Don't touch me. <laughs> don't touch me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like he is kind of playing a little bit of himself in here and that's great. Um, you really do need to uh, interject your, well, inject your own personality into characters i think and he did that really well here although he's like it is a little bit of me but it's not so because i've seen him in interviews and he's not like this much of an asshole but yeah. apparently he got into the role pretty heavy while he was on set as far as like the character and everything because he became this asshole because <clears throat> apparently there was a lot of issues on set uh he really had some issues with angelica houston i guess yeah. she probably didn't like his style Right. of directing which is very much in the kubrick uh style of directing like treat your treat your actors like shit i obviously he hates his mother this character hates his mother and father so yeah. he probably like talked to her uh while he was directing in between shots to stay in character like he did on screen yeah because like, uh, his his back his banter i guess i should say with his mother is very combative and back and forth yeah and this is supposedly his childhood home. I mean, it's supposed to be really? very autobiographical. And um, I didn't know that. Yeah, that this was where he where he grew up. Actually. This is what That's he. This is what he said. And I'm kind of like, I have to take everything Vincent Gallo says with a grain of salt because, like, the more you hear him talk, sometimes the more you question the uh, the truthfulness, or like maybe he's telling you a good story just to make it sound good. But supposedly this is his real house. And then, like, uh, we'll get to it in a second, but you know the song Ben Gazzara sings? If you look at the credits, that's supposedly... His dad, his dad sung it. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's like, it kind of makes sense, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, Let's talk about the... Because really what has always been, when I first saw this film, the most striking thing is the film stock and the cinematography. And um, let's talk about the reason why this film looks like it does. It was... um filmed on this old reversal stock that was used for nfl films exactly and it had um high color saturation and contrast and i looked into this um him using this film stock and apparently it's like really difficult to edit and like uh even more difficult to strike prints off of right actually uh because it's like a real volatile um film stock apparently yeah, yeah, like, do you know a little bit more about this stuff I, I, or I don't have you know. seen it used I just always knew the NFL films because, like, I would watch NFL stuff and, like, like they were using From the all the seventies, right? Well, no, they use it all the way through the nineties because I remember I would watch oh. NFL, whatever I forget where it was, NFL Today, and you would see shit that happened in a game the week before or just a couple weeks ago in the season bet that you watched on TV, you know, on on video camera, fucking shot shit. But the NFL's like, you know, they always had the same announcer guy. I'm blanking on his name now, but there's a classic announcer guy. And you would see shit that you knew because you had watched the game was only happened two weeks earlier. And it looked like it was from the 70s. You know what I mean? Like it, it just always had that look. And it's like, I don't know a whole lot about the reversal film stock. I, I read a couple interviews in magazines, independent film magazines. I used to buy the shit out of them back then. That was another reason I was really like hyped for this movie to come out. Couldn't wait to go see it. And uh, pretty much that Gallo was talking about it, and I don't know a whole lot. Of, I don't know if it's the chemical makeup of the film. It do, well, it doesn't have to be developed or something like that. Uh, it doesn't have to be sent to the lab so you can watch like dailies of it immediately. I don't know if but it I, can just be 
projected immediately after it comes out of the camera. I think that's what it is. I think it can know, be projected. I know there was a lot of like everybody involved with the financing, the film and everything was trying to talk him out of it because yeah. there was, there was a big concern that it's hard to light too. Apparently yeah. it's like really fucking difficult to light this, uh, this, this type of film stock. So. Well, also, also too, it's like, um, like he was saying, I remember in one of the interviews, he was saying that like that, like they didn't even know if like what they were filming was going to come out. So yeah, it yep. was just like, and if you look at this, and they one spent sh- like one point four million to make this film, so I can see why you'd be nervous. Well, it's, you know, it's kind of funny. Money in '98, it's kind of funny too, and I actually really like it. But um, if you look at the shot here that we're looking at now, that where it's Billy at the end of the the dining table or whatever it is. Like, this shot has a quality, like, it looks, like, more dupey or a generation softer or something. And every, throughout the whole rest of this long scene, like, every shot from ju- just that one angle looks a lot softer than the others. So I don't know if that was a lighting issue or if the, the film got damaged and they had to, like, make, like, a, a, a dupe of that footage or what. But it's, like, it's really interesting that how it changes from shot to shot here. Because, like, in a it's minute... It's probably the light. It's probably the lighting. Because I guess they spent a lot of time... Uh, but that was a lot of the between uh, takes was the time they had to spend uh, lighting the scene and stuff. And that scene, though, when um, they jumped back there to um, uh, when he was a kid yeah. and he was, they found out he was allergic to chocolate, that looked like that was actually shot um, with Super 8, actually, because you can right. see the grain and it looks very Super 8 uh, uh, as far as like the saturation and stuff. So that's cool. He's using multiple uh, film formats here. Yeah. Uh, very quick. Uh, type formats too that would be like a real quick type um uh easily accessible type formats that you would find uh convenient to use i guess a film this is the first time ben gazar really starts to uh, feel up christina ritchie too yeah and she was uh she she's real um uh slim not she has been what the past 15 years or so yeah. uh but Back in the day, she was uh, uh, kind of voluptuous. Yeah. Yes, very curvy. But he, um, I guess, called her a fat pig and stuff like that because uh, they had some problems. Uh, I guess we might as well get into the whole thing with uh, – now, Richie, I saw the interview with her um, on Conan, and she spoke real fondly and said that it was a great experience working with them. I think they were still uh, promoting the film maybe right, or yeah. something. And maybe she wanted to uh, work with him again. I don't know. But it's then, not until oh, years later. later where people start telling the truth, pretty much. <laughs> but, yeah, okay, so here's the uh, – let me see here. Uh, this is actually from ABC in 2000. Director lashes out at Ricci. Uh, so this would have been October 30th, 2000. It's still on ABC News' website. Two years ago, brash actor, model, director Vincent Gallo told reporters he immediately wanted to cast then-up-and-coming actress Christina Ricci after seeing her in The Addams Family Mermaid and Mermaids. Gallo, nearly 20 years older than the goth hottie, decided he must have her play the lead in his directorial debut, Buffalo 66. The angular-faced, unshaven Gallo even claimed he had a crush on Ricci his whole life. See, and that's weird. Like, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's weird because... She seven. She said she in the interview in Conan that um, she was seventeen, 
And right. he didn't want her to bring her mother and stuff. Like, so this motherfucker's like sleazy. Because you said he was 36. Yeah, the thing I was reading, Buffalo, I think right? it was more when, like when the movie came out. So it was probably a year later. But at the time when they were writing about the movie, the, the author was saying... 36-year-old Gallo co-stars with 18-year-old Richie. And I remember that was one of the things from the articles I was reading was um, he was talking about his girlfriend was jealous because he would he would make her go see all the Christina Ricci movies. And I want to say he was talking about That Darn Cat or like one of those Disney remakes okay. where it was like Richie and uh, I think Dougie Doug. And he was just yeah. like so blown away and he was so in love with her and his girlfriend was jealous. And like, again, like I feel like Vincent Gallo kind of like you know, tells tall up. tales just to make shit yeah. more interesting. But like, yeah, like he was all about it. So that was really like surprised because like, you know, I didn't really like follow up with the film two, three years after it came out. I just Me really, neither. I really enjoyed yeah. it when it came out and uh, read all yeah. the, 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 you know, like what, what you're talking about, the promotional press at the time, which is always yeah. positive for every movie. So I didn't know he ended up, it wasn't until I saw that, that Stern interview that you sent me where he was saying like her breath smelled like she was drinking all the time and all this shit. Yeah, and, that's a, so they did this page New York Post page six column, and they this he actually elaborates. He talks about these page six writers and like fuck them. I hope they get cancer and stuff and that stern. So maybe they took his shit out of out of context. I don't know, but this is what it goes on to say. Uh, when writer mentioned Ricci to the director, he snapped. It was okay when she wasn't drunk on set. I think she's an alcoholic. It was either that or she was on cough syrup the whole time. Uh, as far as Christina Ricci working with her Gallo, uh, who also snidely claimed that Ricci lost weight on the set because he limited her diet seemed to spit fire. I don't like her. He continued. She's an ungrateful cunt, but it was okay. She's basically a puppet. I told her what to do and she did it, which I mean, you know, as a director, you do want like that's ideal for an actress to be your fucking puppet. Like, right. Well, well, not only that, I mean, but like I've, I've done some acting before too, and mostly my own shit, but the few times that I've done with other people and stuff, like I just do whatever they tell me to do just because there's really, there's really no point. And like, unless you just it's want to direct project. your own shit, there's like, why it's be an actor? project? Yeah, yeah. Right. it's like, but um, but yeah, like maybe she was on because they shot this in the dead of winter, and she's like so like she we should say she's like in this weird dance uniform. She, I I was gonna send it to you, but it was only like a, a minute long or something. This interview she did for it, where she was talking about what she was wearing in this movie was so ridiculous, like her nipples were almost showing and all this stuff, like. But it's like at the time, and it's it's weird now because when I pop this in, especially on the Blu-ray, and I'm just like. Because at the time, like, I was, you know, just about the same age Christina Ricci was when this movie came out. And I was like, damn, this is, like, one of the hottest film characters ever, the way she looks and everything. And then, like, you see it now, and it's like, yeah, I see what I was saying. But, like, I just noticed now, like, oh, she's still got, like, the Adam's Family little kid face in this movie. Like, it's weird now to watch it. I don't, I mean, I guess I didn't, I grew up with her and stuff. Like, she is a little bit older, but, um, like, Casper and... Um, you know, I grew up with those movies and stuff as a kid, and uh, you know, so I yeah, I guess I grew up with her, and um, you know, so I I mean, I was still like a what I wasn't like what thirteen maybe when this movie yeah I mean, actually came so out, young. so yeah. so she was like a hot older chick for me, yeah. you know what I mean? Like I was for like, me, she looked like, like a woman. She looked like a woman to me. You I know, mean, she looked from, like a woman to me at the time too, because because yeah. I'm about I think I'm a, I'm either like a year or two years older than her. 
So like yeah. when this came out, she was like my contemporary, you know what I mean? But now you right. watch oh, it yeah. in Fro- Frozen. I mean, I still see her and stuff all the time. I just watched that Yellow Jacket show a couple months ago. And um I but, haven't really watched anything with her in all it's like since Black Snake Moan, to be honest with you. I haven't yeah. really I I haven't really followed her career or anything. Um I didn't really check this film out necessarily because of her. <clears throat> I checked it out just because I was into watching uh, independent films, you know. Yeah. And I was an aspiring filmmaker. I knew nothing about this. This was totally a blind rental. Uh, it just had an interesting-looking cover. And, and yeah, I mean, when I seen it, uh, obviously my, my big draw to it was the ending scene. It had this I, – I mean, the minute I saw it, I was like, this has a 70s crime um film like look to like like a black exploitation film or something and it just had this interesting draw to me that i was super fascinated with and then it was just kind of just a bizarre uh plot like i never seen anything uh, i guess i hadn't watched enough independent film over the years to you know i just thought this was a bizarre storyline like it's just so um mundane yeah i guess like oh we're going to see my parents and this so and that. small so like, yeah yeah it's not like you know some big action like we've got to stop the guy from putting the bomb in the building in the next uh 30 minutes or blah 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 and it's just action-packed the kind of shit you'd see in the late i mean in the late 90s what we had matrix and like all this cgi fucking stuff coming out i mean visually um pleasing not to say this film isn't but yeah. there's not a lot there's not really a lot going on as far as like action or anything like or anything super exciting i guess like is it like a guy going to a bowling alley and yeah. treats this girl like shit the entire movie <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> well this, this, this i kind of forgot how extended the scene and i forgot how early in the movie the scene is where they go to see the parents but yeah there was like a, that other flashback where they showed like him and his dog when he was a kid, and his dad came out all angry, like showing and you really... the dog's neck. Yeah, like they kind of cut yeah. away, but it intimates that he snaps the dog's neck because the the puppy peed on the carpet again. But um... oh, and you know we get Kevin Corrigan in this, yeah, too, and that was another draw. I always liked him because he was in that uh, what is it, Slums of Beverly Hills. He was great in that. I was like, oh I God, like I first dude, started like... tracking him from True Romance, so. After I saw oh, him yeah, in True right. Romance, yeah. I would like, yeah, like I would notice him in everything he was in. But yeah, Slums of Beverly Hills. I'm telling you, like the, the era that this film came out in, Bat, probably for me personally, like '96 to about '99, because yeah. like we would, you know, me and my dad, we always go see tons and tons of movies, and um, you know, if there was something that interests us at the art house theaters, we would go. But generally, there wasn't a whole lot. Whereas, like, this era, like, I'm telling you, I was, like, pretty much split, like, 50-50 going to see art house shit, going to see mainstream shit. Like, there was so much good independent cinema at the time. Like, I can't even really explain it to somebody who, like, really didn't live through that era or, you know, understand it now. But it's just, like, everything now is just so fucking man Like, even the independent movies now that are just made just cheaply to get out or whatever, they're all just imitating studio films, you know? They're not really trying to, like... I, I mean, I guess I didn't, I can't, I mean, I can now fully appreciate what was going on. And that was, um, you're talking about this like mid to late nineties. And thankfully I was like getting into my teen years and like interested in this stuff and just wasn't watching, you know, like whatever the next big 
blockbuster. I, I've, I've always been in, I've always had an eye for Kino since real young. Um, I think it was probably when I first saw like uh, Clockwork Orange, which was like nine, ten years old. I saw it on cable. Mm-hmm. I, I watch a lot of stuff. So I always had an eye for like what, what we're calling Kino now. I didn't really know what the yeah. fuck it was. I just knew it was different than uh, what the mainstream was trying to push onto me, um, you know, back then or anybody really for that matter but i i can fully appreciate it now i guess i didn't then of this independent uh renaissance is what you're talking about of that era and now like in retrospect looking back it's like yeah man like we should have really appreciated like i didn't really think much of it like uh, well stuff like welcome to the dollhouse and stuff i was like yeah these are like weird and stuff and like i don't know like I really didn't think too much about it. I guess I took it for granted, like, oh, well, it's going this way. And, like, oh, Ghost World is another one, uh, you know, another example of, like, this type of film coming out. And I'm seeing a lot of this stuff. But I just figured that it would just continue to progress. And this would, like, it would just get better and better. And it didn't. It it actually got worse. I, I think it was after 2005, 2006, shit really started to go downhill, I think. Yeah. And, and like, it's because. <clears throat> go ahead no i was just gonna say i think what we were seeing bat was we were seeing the the generation behind like scorsese and coppola yeah. we were seeing like the tarantinos the gallows the todd solonance uh we were seeing those people that were actually influenced by the 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 era of the 70s when like the kind of like the the independent uh, directors took over hollywood so it's like a movie like buffalo 66 is like in a lot of ways it, like it feel even though it came out in 1998 it feels so much like a movie from the 70s because that's probably the era of filmmaking that vincent gallo loved the best yeah it's very much like a nod to like stuff like easy rider and um that you brought up taxi driver and stuff like that um that that we were seeing of that new uh what do they what do they call it like um that was kind of a new renaissance of hollywood yeah. like a lot of the guys that came out of um Corman's school of filmmaking and work for Corman, they took over Hollywood. I mean, yeah. you know, even uh, Scorsese did, uh, I think that was a Corman film, Boxcar Bertha. Yeah. Was a, was a Roger Corman film. And like, yeah, pretty much all the guys that worked uh, in some shape, way, form, or whatever for Corman, they're like, you know, became the big heavyweights into the 90s and uh, early 2000s. So yeah, definitely uh, Vincent Gallo was inspired. I, I I think he, I think his problem with why he didn't rise to the success that he probably should have is very similar to Jim Van Bever. Right. Another talented independent filmmaker. It looks like he's got, I mean, he predates um, uh, Tarantino and was actually able to make multiple films. Whereas, you know, out of his own pocket, whereas like, um, let's face it. I mean, Tarantino failed. Uh, my best friend's birthday he tried to make on his own and he couldn't he couldn't pull it off by himself uh he wasn't able to pull off his first independent film if you want to call reservoir dogs an independent film um i mean without the assistance of harvey keitel in that type of attention i don't think that fucking project would have ever got off the ground to be honest with you no Um, it actually some people might argue that but um, you know, so like looking at, but yeah, again, going back to Van, Van Bever and Gal, they're very similar because they're both like conservatives. They have this conservative view, political view. And I think that that's like, no, you're definitely not going to fly high in Hollywood oh, nowadays. No. 
uh, with that. That's why you, we don't see James Woods. Yeah. yeah, we don't see James Woods anymore and stuff. And I don't, I don't uh, right away. I'm not really, you know, I don't really subscribe to that uh, political view. I don't really, but again, I don't really like politics in my movies. And I have yeah. never seen Jim Van Beber, nor have I ever seen Vincent Gallo try to inject their politics into their films. Right. So I appreciate that, but yeah, I mean that's probably why these guys aren't, um, you know, big wheels in Hollywood right now or working in the industry because, um, <clears throat> I guess they're not willing to uh, put that put that aside, and uh, you know, rightly so. I like I, you know, again we brought up the whole um, the the gay gay and lesbian themes within film and how that needs to be the four focus. And I don't think that he, he should have to sacrifice his vision to promote the, like, like it's like, Oh, uh, this film's great. But, um, can we have a black lesbian, uh, uh, tranny in the film? And it's like, the, the story doesn't need what, what, what does it need that? And they want, they want him to inject that into his film and force it, force feed it onto the audience. And in, and then you know sacrifice his vision. I, I, think, I think so. I think it's really like they wouldn't even consider his vision at this point in time because it's like we have a script of um, of movie whatever scripts over here in this pile that fit our worldview that we want to promote. Right. Um, we have a new Marvel movie that we want yeah. new uh, superhero that is just great, and we know the kids are just going to love this, and uh, we can also. Uh, put a dress on him but, but <laughs> I, I think it like not to get like too weird in discussion here because there's actually a bunch of shit going on in the movie i want to get back to but like yeah but yeah. uh i think it's almost like one of those weird illuminati ideas of like you present into the world what you want to happen and i think that's what kind of hollywood has become is we present in it's our films always been like that i the think world i think that, that it's want. been like that for a it, long time man and and the world that they want doesn't include a guy like Vincent Gallo running around making movies that are about like scumbags from Buffalo. You know what I mean? Like it's right. just it's just not. What, but yeah, like we got a great scene there around the dinner table yeah. where his dad was accusing him of pointing a knife at him, where it's just a butter knife laying on the <laughs> yeah. table. That was a great thing. And then yeah. we get we got a nice flashback. We find out why Billy was in prison. Um, he he we actually. Got Mickey got mickey rourke on the screen this is this is when he was like his career wasn't doing very well yeah right? everybody claimed there was all these years that mickey rourke didn't you know and like he just would do these smaller parts of movies yeah. or whatever but i mean he did good shit like it just wasn't yeah. widely seen but yeah, yeah mickey actually still looks like he didn't like decimate his face here yeah. and uh you know this predates like he actually looks like he did back in like the 80s and stuff right. so yeah he looks good in this movie but um yeah yeah, it just has like a one scene cameo. But basically, the backstory is, and I don't, I don't know. You're probably too young to remember this, but there was like a string of like four years straight bat where the Buffalo Bills always made it to the Super Bowl and they always fucking lost. There was a couple that got blown out, but there was other ones where like they just barely lost. And like I remember the one, um, it was like ninety or ninety one Super Bowl. Uh, their kicker Scott Norwood was actually the real guy's name. He missed a field goal, and that's, yeah. that's what they recreate. But they changed his name Scott in the movie Wood. to Scott Wood. Yeah, so that was because of. Uh, yeah, let me read this. So, get. Uh, let's see here. Gallo was unable to use real NFL logos or to refer to the team as Buffalo Bills, just Buffalo or Bills, as NFL properties were uncooperative 
Kicker Scott Norwood was invited to participate in the film, but declined, meaning Gal had to change the character's name to Scott Wood. So they actually tried to get Scott Norwood to cameo yeah. in this film, actually. So Yeah, it, it, it's funny, too, because in the movie, he, uh, he kind of trades in on his infamy for missing the field goal and opening a strip club. Scott Wood's a solid gold dancer. Is that true, though? Did he do that? No, he was actually a very straight... The real Scott Norwood was actually a very straight-laced guy, and he immediately... um, uh, Like, his playing career ended in the early 90s, and, like, he actually just got waived by Buffalo, and instead of trying to get on to another team, he just immediately retired. And uh, I want to say it was Virginia he went to, and he uh, immediately started selling real estate. So by the time this film would have been made... He actually was long gone and just being a real estate broker in uh, Virginia, I believe it was. So I could see why he wouldn't come back to participate. But it would have been fucking awesome if he really was in the movie. (laughs) But yeah, so what happened was uh, on that Super Bowl, they do a flashback of Billy and his friend Goon, played by Kevin Corrigan. He uh, calls and bets $10,000 to Mickey Rourke's character on the Super Bowl. And of course, Buffalo loses, and like Goon tried to warn him because he doesn't he doesn't have any money, let alone ten thousand dollars. So, right, he, he couldn't cover his losses to Mickey Rourke. So Mickey Rourke uh, pretty much uh, forced him. He said, "I'm going to do evil and bad things to your family." Uh, I have a friend who uh, has been accused of a crime that he did not commit. It's a great fuck again, great dialogue, oh, yeah. Mickey Rourke. The line delivery is perfect. You know? Yeah, better than. I'll just say just as good, not to incite a riot here. I'll say just as good is uh, on a Tarantino level, in my opinion, but I personally think it's better. And he tells him, like, I need you to go to the police and confess to this crime. And I thought it was interesting, too, Bat. It was like I was watching very closely to the dialogue. Like, they never really actually uh, mentioned what the crime was that Billy had to uh, confess to. But, uh, yeah, they, that's right. They, that's they, true. Yeah, they do the, the courtroom back uh, flashback, and the, the judge says, you know, since you confess to it, this crime, like, you're getting the automatic um, maximum sentence of five years. So, like, he literally, like, no parole. And she even says with the possibility of no parole, so, like, no time off. So he, he did the full five years. No, you know, you got to think, though, that uh... – <clears throat> Tarantino's lucky that guys like Gallo and Van Bever didn't climb to the top because, I yeah. mean, to be honest with you, they were more talented filmmakers than than he is as, as far as fully rounded. Now, I'll give Tarantino the, – the thing that I'll give Tarantino, because I know everyone sucks Tarantino's dick, and I'm not like a Tarantino hater like some people are here. Um, I do like the man's work. Um, I don't like everything he's done. Uh, he is a great screenwriter. Honestly, he probably uh, – would have been more suited as a screenwriter. And I know he tried uh, to, to break in, and that's I think that's what he his focus was early on with uh, True Romance and um, Natural Born well, Killers. Even his gig work that he did, Bat, where he wrote the original draft of From Dust Dawn, and then he tried to write Halloween 6, but uh, well, what's his name, Makad, didn't uh, hire him, so didn't like the script yeah. yeah well you know the thing my theory too on uh, from dust till dawn is that and if you watch full tilt boogie he directed quite a bit of that um it's it sure does appear to me the scene where they're driving up uh that he is directing and mm-hmm. um that leads me to believe that he did a lot more directing on that film than than people would and uh you know like to admit yeah. I'm sure Robert Rodriguez wouldn't want to admit that, but I'm going to be honest with you. From Dust Till Dawn feels like a Tarantino film. 
Oh I yeah, I think I think it's it, intentional. It was a cash in to some degree, you know. And it's not just because he stars in it either. It's yeah. it. I mean, it feels like it was directed by Tarantino, and uh, so I think he had his hand in directing quite a bit. And um, you know, because as far as I'm concerned, you might disagree with me. I know you're probably a Robert Rodriguez fan, actually, but it's it's uh it's Robert Rodriguez's best film. So oh no, I've always said that always yeah. by far. The directing, oh, wow, editing okay. wise, everything. It's it's by far yeah. his best film. Like I mean, I I like I really 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 like. A handful of Robert Rodriguez films, and there's a, also a, a a lot of them that I'm like vastly disappointed in. Um, Are you a huge fan of El Mariachi? I like El Mariachi. I think it's great for a seven thousand dollar basically student. Yeah, film. independent film. Yeah. I'm a huge fan of Desperado. I think what he did for seven million bucks on Desperado was amazing, and I think that was like the nice ramp up to. Uh, I can't remember if it came out before or after From Dusk to Dawn, but like. Yeah, that's it's but I mean by far, I mean it's not even fucking close. From Dust of Dawn is his best film, like Yeah. But you're also a fan of uh his later work, Spy Kids, right? I mean, <laughs> just cuz I have all six films posters <laughs> on on my bedroom wall. I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't oh, really geez. call myself a fan, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, so that's about, about about the Spy Kids era is when I was like, all right, Mr. Rodriguez, I think I've had enough of your work, sir. Like, if Spy Kids came out now, like, at my old age, like, maybe, maybe you could get me to watch it. But, like, at the time that I was, like, in my early 20s, I mean, I, I rarely saw um, a PG-13 film, let alone a kid's right. film. Like, you know, I yeah, took a I lot of shit for that for years, for too. But... I mean, I get it. He said he made it for his kids, right? I right, mean, right. Because he had... That's the whole reason. I'll I'll be honest, and I don't want to get on a tangent here, but another reason why I don't like modern films is like I'm not really down with all the green screen shit. Like, right? The only green, the only green screen films I like is the uh, George Lucas Star Wars prequel thing. Oh, okay. Those three, I'm fine with it. The other ones, they could a Marvel whoever they can suck a dick. I think that uh, Gallo would be interested in green screen uh, technology if. He could blow his dick uh, up the size of like Godzilla in New York City and have Chloe uh, drink his load. You know, you know what, you know what other filmmaker green screen absolutely ruined and nobody talks about it. And I'm sure it was a budgetary thing, but still, is uh, Alex Cox, the director of Repo Man. He started making these bad green screen films where it was like you couldn't even see anybody like walk across a parking lot they would be like walking on a treadmill with a green screen of like a parking lot behind them it was really shitty and i remember that was like that green screen shit actually started in video games a lot of things people don't remember that but things like wing commander pc games and shit it became a really cheap there's some star wars ones like it too um star wars pc games but that green screen shit became a way to um really economically just film people standing around talking i never understood it yeah there's no reason to do green screens like that other than that you're just either lazy or you don't feel comfortable shooting um on location or whatever i like i get it like as far as like keeping the production rolling and not having to go oh well this there's this plane flying over. There's this guy that keeps, you know, trying to walk into the shot or whatever. But I mean, it's just really lazy, I think. And uh, it is, and it's it's boring know. to watch. There's no more. I prefer more the like 
Because, you know, like, there's a lot of independent films back from, like, the late 90s that are about people working in offices. And it's just, like, they get an office or they build a set of an office. And you get mm-hmm. a lot of those films where, like, people are sitting at a desk and, like, it's, like, hard focus on them and the walls and the background are just really blurring out of focus. I'm rather, I'd much rather see that than, like, people traveling around the world in front of a green screen and never actually doing anything. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I see, that was really prevalent, I think, uh, when I was getting, like, in the early to mid 2000s, really people trying to just use the green screen technology throughout the entire film. Yeah. I just just didn't see a point in it at all. So I don't, I just feel like you get a lot more from shooting on location where we're entering into this bowling alley now. And this is like legitimate bowling alley. And there's just so much um, production value here. Yeah. Yeah. That you can't. uh, And it's very, this bowling alley has a very seventies, uh, look to it and of course we get um i didn't realize this was jan michael vincent his yeah, buddy. Michael. Um, he's way older here as is uh before he passed away i guess yeah. um, i think he was battling throat cancer around this time yeah because his his voice is like that's probably why i didn't know it was him because i didn't you know obviously he's a lot older and like his voice is just haggard i just thought he was just like because i know in brown bunny um the production um i guess he like really shot that with real people uh, so he didn't have to spend a lot of money. He would just have him like, yeah. I think that scene where he goes to the pet store, that guy like really, they just went to a real pet store and this gave the guy probably like a sheet of paper with a few lines of what he was going to say. And um, yeah, I thought that's kind of what he was doing with this film too a lot. And I thought this was like a guy that worked at the bowling <laughs> alley. Like, Yeah, you can tell like the scenes like on the streets where he's running around are kind of like stolen. But like I thought Gallo did a really interesting thing here where he really um, – you know, for the budget of this film only being like a, around a million dollars or so, uh, yeah. he did a great, like, I mean, I don't know how little these people are willing to work for. I know he claims he had to give half the movie's budget to Angelica Houston to be in it. That makes sense. Yeah. But, but he did a great, and that's kind of why he resented her so much. But like, yeah. uh, he did a great thing in terms of like Vincent Gallo was not a star, but he put himself next to Christina Ricci, who, who was very well known from studio mm-hmm. films as a child actress. And then he he cast throughout the movie all these like really I mean Kevin Corrigan was more his buddy but I mean even he was like yeah. recognized with him but like he put big stars in like very cameo roles like Mickey Rourke as the bookie Jan Michael Vincent as the the bowling alley guy his parents were played by Ben Gazar and Angelica Houston and then uh, like it's really a really interesting cameo like it's kind of a nothing role but it it becomes more interesting that Rosanna Arquette plays the real life Wendy That's Balsam right. yeah. And that really worked uh, uh, really well. Actually, um, Rosanna Arquette, I was, I was talking about um, uh, that film um, with you a while back. I don't want to get off uh, too much on a uh, uh, tangent here, but um, uh, she's played some like really trashy type characters before. Yeah. And so this is like real reminiscent of. Um, uh, the Executioner song. Um, mm. we, I talked to you about that, and her yeah, I still uh, need to role see that. that. Yeah. Oh, you haven't seen it. I okay, seen yeah. It, yeah. Her, her character in this is very um, reminiscent of her character in that too, as well. Yeah, no, um, that like that. Why well, haven't actually picked up that Blu-ray? And I have like this fan edit because it's never fully been um, presented fully uncut. Like, there's all these. It is a made-for-TV movie, but there was a European cut that had a bunch of nudity with Rosanna Arquette. 
um, and Tommy Lee Jones and stuff where they were like having sex and he's like smacking her around and shit. Obviously, you know, that wouldn't have worked out uh, good. I think it came out on CBS uh, back in the eighties, but yeah, the, like the, the Blu-ray that you can get on Amazon is not, is not, uh, fully uncut. So, um, yeah, that's like why I've never actually bought a physical copy of it because a lot of fans have complained about that film not being released fully uncut for whatever reason. That's, it might be material. That's interesting because I'm looking at it the the current Blu-ray from Keenan Lower where it says one movie two cuts, but I guess it's still. Oh not. really? Yeah, I'm wondering if it has the. And maybe uh, it does have the European separate on there. The the fan edit I have has like all the original like movie of the week it's actually a vh it's all from vhs copies and it has the original movie of the week intro and everything cut into it and it has like the european cut it's like i i'd never actually seen it uncut i'd always seen it um the the original theatrical uh movie of the week version yeah so it was really cool to see all that extra stuff and uh no it's really good i mean i I'd love to cover. I think I believe it's Kino. Um, maybe maybe I can get you that fan edit, or if you want to pick up. I don't know if we're gonna commentary over if we just want to do an episode where we talk about films. I mean, I don't. Yeah, because you know, it, it says um, it says the director's cut is 135 minutes. <clears throat> the original version is 188 minutes, presented in two parts. And then the guy who did the review, he says of the two versions, the original version is more novelistic and melodramatic. Uh, more yeah. slowly moving director's cut is more of a movie with R-rated dialogue and sex inserted into the effort yep. to harden it, giving a more realistic depiction of Gary's. Re- I didn't realize like this movie was so because I remember this being on TV when I was a kid, always hearing of it, but I didn't really know anything about it. Yeah, it's based I mean, off a true story about yeah. this guy that um, wanted to be executed by firing squad or whatever that was his request or whatever, but. Um, no, it's great, and um, you know it's one of my favorite. I'm not really a big Tommy Lee Jones fan, to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, this is always stuck out uh, to me. I don't remember where. I think I saw it on TV um, back in the '90s, and I was just like, "Whoa, this is great! Like, why is this not being? Why is this not talked about more? This is this is a great performance, and uh, his character there is just so sleazy. Yeah. Uh, he gets." <laughs> There's this scene where he's uh, working at his, uh, I think it's like his uncle or something's um, shoe repair shop, and this girl comes in to drop this uh, young girl uh, with bell bottoms and you can, you know, kind of tight pants, walks in and uh, drops off the shoes, and he's been in penitentiary for so long, he's like, oh mama, and he's like all horny and stuff, and like hooting yeah. and hollering at her at the store, it's so greasy, but uh, when, we get this great scene with Christina here doing yeah. this dance. And this is another thing. This is where um, this caught my attention. Obviously, uh, growing up um, on more mainstream cinema, uh, <clears throat> this is just something different. Like all of a sudden, we just cut to this. It's uh, it's very uh, realistic. Yeah. Uh, type filmmaking. Like a spotlight has... comes up on her, and all the yeah. lights go down in the bowling alley. She does this tap dance, which actually, mm-hmm. like, you might be like, okay, what is this goofy shit? But it actually kind of works into her character being a dance student and whatever. You know, yep. like, it actually serves a purpose. No, it does. Um, I know a lot of people were. I never got that, I guess. Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of now, I guess, thinking about him, like, I could see that people compared him to Lynch. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of this type, these type, this 
I don't know, let's type a scene here. Well, yeah, I guess there's like two. Lynch, there's yeah. the part where the dad sings the song where the, the mm-hmm. lights fade down, a spotlight goes on him, and then Richie in the bowling alley does the dance. But, like, as far as I'm concerned, this is pure Kino because, yeah, like, we know there's literally not a spotlight on Christina Ricci. It's really just like she took the moment to dance on the wood of the bowling alley because the lights fade back up. And then you kind of even notice when the lights fade back up, her, her dancing kind of fades off, and you kind of see how shitty it really is. But, like, I don't know. Like, I just find it a beautiful touch, and it's like it's a yes. great moment in the trailer as well. But no, we was um, I don't have my audio on, but uh, Moonchild um, mm-hmm. by King Crimson uh, kicks yeah. in there. Oh, let, yeah, we didn't even really get into the soundtrack. We got yeah. two uh, great Yes songs yeah. on here, um, maybe two of the greatest Yes songs ever, uh, by the way. And then uh, the King Crimson, I have that on. I actually have that uh, album on vinyl over there. So, but I would love to have this on vinyl. This this whole soundtrack with um, Vincent Gallo's uh, uh, music too, as well. It's just yeah. so, everything works perfectly. It's just like meant to be there. It's like it was made for the film. Um, so I got to give him credit on that on picking picking the music out that just like sets the tone. It really does. I mean, that's just like the the mark of a good, well-rounded filmmaker. But like, yeah, yeah. even like that Vincent Gallo track. It's really the only Vincent Gallo track that I really like, to be honest. Even off the album I bought, but the one that's like at the very beginning where it shows him in the prison. He's just like, all my life I've been this lonely the Billy, boy. The Billy Brown yeah. song. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like doom, doom. Like it's very like ominous and just haunting. So is it longer on the soundtrack than what we what we got there, or is that did they give us the entire piece? <laughs> I or? can't remember without looking at it. I think it is slightly longer. Like it's, yeah. it, like it's not like thirty seconds, but I think it's still pretty short. Like I think it's only like two minutes or something. Like you know what I mean? Right. But uh, I could be wrong though. It's it's been forever since I was. But like literally again, like around the time this movie came out, I was driving around listening to that soundtrack, and it was really like that yes song at the end, the strip club song. That's just mm-hmm. fucking awesome. But yeah, um, I think that's on their second yeah second like, album maybe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah more great I, dialogue there where he calls the operator to to get the address for Scott Woods Strip Club, and they're like, "How do you spell it?" He's like, "I don't know, Woods." Woo. Woo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Woo. Like, like it's, you know, like, I don't know how much, like, you know, of our listenership is really into independent films or whatever, but, like, to me, independent film, when it's actually good, there's, and there's, by the way, there's a lot of pure shit that just kind of tries to use the excuse of being an independent film, and uh, that's not what I'm talking about. Like, I'm talking about what's great about independent film is when you can have, like, a scene of, like, a guy in a phone booth, and it's, like, he's doing really nothing other than just talking to somebody on the phone, and it's, like, captivating. Like, your eyes are drawn to the screen, you're immersed into the the personality of this character and what they're saying like to me that's what's great about independent film yeah i'm looking on here and apparently kevin corgan chose to opt out of the credits because he did not want to be associated with the film at the time i wonder why i know he um i can't remember if it was late maybe in 99 or early 2000s Mm -hmm. he started doing that show which i do like too as well uh grounded for life did you ever watch that I did. I did at the time. Yeah. I don't remember much about it, but I remember it. Uh, it was a Fox show, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I got into it, and I was like, because I really like him, um, and I just thought yeah. it was great. And then they did like this weird one episode. They did this weird. Um, I don't think it was on purpose because it wasn't point place, but they actually uh, there's a, there's one episode where they go to the water tower uh, from that '70s show where they put, painted the pot leaf. 
I guess mm-hmm. they just had it, or they're, you know, it's a Fox show, so they're, like, using yeah. the same sets. I, I I don't even think the so. The soundstage. Yeah, the same set, you know, the same town it was supposed to be that, but I was just like, is this a, that 70 so modern crossover or whatever? And the only other person um that said that they really liked that show and watched it, too, was Newt. We were talking, um, but I only got to watch it, like, the first season, and then it might have changed uh, nights that it was on. And yeah, I just happened a lot to Fox shows yeah, back then. And I just and I just was never around when it was on. And I guess I think it lasted four seasons. And I just really um, loved that show. And I fell out of the groove. Yeah, yeah I've been meaning to. Uh, that's one I'd like to revisit. Like if I saw a Grounded for Life box set, I'd grab it up in a heartbeat just so I could go back because it was great. There was the Ramones episode and just see, you know, it just had a good feel to it. Um, it was definitely not, uh, main, very, uh, mainstream, I guess. You know, like, I, I think probably Kevin Corrigan didn't want to be associated with it because it, there's, there's the inference that the character he's playing goon is, uh, and again, I just, this is independent filmmaking. Yeah. This is Vincent Gallo filmmaking. Not everybody's going to like it, but I think it's very obviously a guy, the character of Goon, I think it's very obviously a guy who has a mental handicap Mm -hmm. who's been shit upon his whole life to the point where literally his name that even his best friend calls him as Goon. I mean, that's... That's not a very rosy life I'm right Rocky there. You know, now. Sh- I'm ro- I want you to call yeah, me Rocky now. Call me Rocky. And yeah. like he lives in a, a, sh- a really kind of nasty bedroom with his mom. Bunch and of, uh, uh, fucking hamsters. Have, uh, chinchillas and, yeah. and hamsters and guinea pigs around him. He's, he's obviously very much a childlike character. And there is a flashback in prison where uh, uh, Rocky, a.k.a. Goon, goes to see him and he's because he lied to his parents he never told him he was going to prison uh he, he wants uh rocky to uh to send them uh christmas cards and birthday cards all throughout the five years you know and he's he starts doing the same thing here like we'll get it in the scene after here but he's going to have christina ricci do the same thing for him he bought a bunch of like they don't really show what he bought but you find out later he bought a bunch of birthday cards and stuff for uh at this Walgreens that they stopped at real quick, and he's gonna have Ricci, and it's like That's you don't, like, you don't the know photos right now too in the photo booth. Yeah, so the classic scene, yeah. Um, you know, I was, just, was... I was just thinking, just not to get off too much off topic, but I'm willing to bet because we were talking about um, Gallo was um, in Goodfellas in the yeah. 1970s crew scenes, but also I almost forgot that uh, Kevin Corrigan actually plays Ray Liotta's kid brother. Um, in Goodfellas too, as well, correct? Yeah, I, I believe so. He's like real young, <laughs> his hair is short. They must yeah. have met on that set then. That's probably where they because you said you thought they were friends. Uh, I don't know where you got. Well, them. well, I thought so because Gallo said uh, when he was talking about the casting, he casted all these people he wanted to work with, and then he got to Kevin Corrigan, and he just said. He said, "He actually said I wrote the part just for him, yeah. so I knew he knew him. You know what I mean? Right? They must have been friends from working on that film, which I." Until we decided to do this here recently and I started doing research, I had no idea that uh, that was Gallo in that 1970s. I've seen, I've seen Goodfellas so many times. Yeah. So so he's worked with uh, – he's actually worked with Scorsese then, you know, so – yeah, I mean that's that's uh, the that small role he had on Goodfellas. That's probably when the torch was passed. Yeah, absolutely. And when Vincent Gallo became the best director of cinema <laughs> at the time, like uh, Scorsese was like, "Listen, it's going to get real shitty here. Yeah. I'm going to need you to take over the torch and uh, and become the next auteur filmmaker. You know, um, working in Hollywood and uh, 
Vince was like, yeah, I can do that. I, I can. Well, it, it was it was probably just even more like ethereal than that when the torches passed by. It was like probably like um, uh, Scorsese probably finished his cup of coffee and he was in the middle directing. He's like, Vincent, could you go throw this away from me? And he touched, you know, they kind of touched and their fingertips touched for and a split second. Like sometimes, yeah, like uh, when somebody hands you something yeah. and then Vincent Gallo became the best director. Anyway, and, uh, it was like being shocked with uh, like static electricity. It was like, ah, what the hell happened there? And it's like, yeah, you're a filmmaker now, man. And I mean, I don't know because she's only directed three things, but Chloe Savini is a director now too. That's and, right. And maybe the power transferred to her for a little while uh, when, when they he filmed the, the Brown he, Bunny. When he came yeah. in her mouth and she swallowed it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, maybe that's how like his. <clears throat> I mean, Scorsese didn't come in Gallo's mouth, right. but maybe that's the way it worked. You know. You know. You yeah, know, from male to female. But this is a uh, yeah, like pretty much you know we see that uh, Billy has a gun in his locker at the bowling alley, and he's got this little small handgun, and yeah. we start seeing That's him talking a to. Actually, ladies, uh, twenty-two. Uh, yeah, it's, gun. <laughs> it's it's not a very cool gun, yeah. like, no, but it's cool very fitting for, for the character of Billy. It's cool yeah. for like the seventies uh, vibe, but. Uh... But it's kind of the beginning of him on phone booths and talking to people, and then muttering to himself. I'm gonna kill Scott Wood. I'm gonna kill. I'm gonna fucking kill him. He ruined my life. I'm gonna kill Scott Wood. I actually wish he said it more. I just love it every time he's like, "I'm gonna fucking kill Scott Wood." <laughs> he like he blames this guy because basically uh, he tells uh, his buddy Goon Rocky that um, he heard from guys in prison that Scott Wood actually got paid off to miss that yeah. field goal, yeah. and that and that's what ruined Billy's life. So it's pretty strong motive for revenge here. You know what I mean? Um. Yeah, it's you know it's really interesting uh, the phone to use the usage of the 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 pay phones and stuff now because this modern generation will be like what is this uh, yeah. artifact from you know time time before you know it's like uh, I don't you know that might not the kids today might not think that's hip they may like are using a phone a pay phone it's like no, yeah. only the coolest movies with characters using, you know, the movies were the coolest when they had them on the payphone. What are you talking about? That's that's a sign of a true Kino film, actually. Is there's the payphones pay were such a fucking staple of movies back then, dude. Like, yeah. they're like oh, like virtually every movie had some sort of scene that was like where somebody had to stop at a payphone. My, phone, my you know first I mean? feature length uh, student film had a bunch of stuff with a payphone. Like, I you know, it's just mm. like. Somebody had to be like drinking coffee and smoking a cigarette. Those were all like things you had to put in your independent film. Somebody has to be yeah. drinking coffee and smoking a cigarette. They have to use the payphone. Uh, you know, this is like certain things that you got to do if you want to be. I mean, coffees and cigarettes in particular were so powerful that the Jim Jarmus filmed like twenty short films over a period of fifteen That's years right. of coffee, just based around coffees, yeah. and then he released them as a feature length. That's right. Again, like that—that that was a movie that I went to see in a theater. Was twenty short films by Jim Jarmusch about coffee and cigarettes. Yep. And like, again, people are like, "What's the movie about now?" It's about, it's about two people that. Yeah, what's the movie? It's just like you can't get anything like that in in, in a into a movie theater now. Now it's got to be okay. Like 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 when when does the superhero come in to give all his powers to his younger teenage sister so she can take over? That's the story well, we need to tell. Well, now. listen about the cigarette stuff. I remember when um, <laughs> I remember when uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came out, and you know how much I like that film. I was yeah. like really pushing it. Like I love this film. 
I saw one reviewer say, why are they so, why do they keep smoking cigarettes? Like, oh. like, I'm like, what do you mean? It's like 1968. Like, everybody fucking yeah. in their, I mean, when I was a kid in the 90s, everybody smoked cigarettes. Like, I don't, yeah. if you went into a house and there wasn't an ashtray filled with butts and the reek of fucking nicotine, like, there was something wrong. You were like, oh, what's going on here? Is this a setup? Like, you you want to get nervous. Like, that was normalcy. Yeah, I was like kind of shielded from it, I guess, because my dad was a smoke was not a smoker okay. and he didn't like the smell of it. And like my mom was and her family, like everybody, my uncle, my my grandpa and grandma, like everybody was a smoker. So like I grew up in a world where my mom and all our female cousins and everybody, like literally every female member of our family, it's all smoked. Like. And, like, I mean, pretty much everybody smoked, but it was such a girl thing to smoke. It was such a female thing to smoke. Like, it just seemed like, like, it seemed like guys, like, by the time I was, like, a young kid, adults, it seemed like there was, like, maybe 25% of men who didn't smoke. But I swear to God, 100% of women smoked back then. Like, and that was, like, the 1980s. Well, I you know noticed, what I mean? Like, I noticed in this film, I did take note because I watched it, um, you know, the other night so I could get ready because I hadn't seen it probably since... 99 2000 and i mean it's not because i don't love the film it's just that yeah. i i watched it so many fucking times that you know back then but um i noticed i took note that um neither brown bunny or this film his character smoked well did he right. no i don't think he did smoke cigarettes in brown bunny he definitely doesn't smoke it's cigarettes been, i've been 20 years since i saw brown bunny yeah. but i don't remember him doing it yeah, yeah and he doesn't well he doesn't hear and i thought that was kind of unusual because again like no i'm serious i'm not just being like a joker about it like if independent film usually your star was like yeah. cool whatever hip type character he's had a cigarette in his hand <laughs> you know it's like every fucking uh movie janine garofalo was in in the 90s and early 2000s she, she always fucking smoked well that's because yeah. she did smoke though i think so it yeah. worked out you know but but that's what that's what it was like a bonus like they would force the non-smoker actresses to smoke, to smoke in movies and until they eventually got addicted but if you yeah. got a hold of a of an actress who actually already was a smoker it was like free range oh, like yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow go ahead and light up on camera whoa yeah that's great it's like 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 I don't really like miss like people like bringing the shit to their lips and blowing the smoke out but I'm so I got so used bat to like movies where they would cut to a character at a desk with a, a or like sitting in a house with a just at least like a cigarette chilling in an ashtray and the little stream of smoke coming out of it you know yeah what I mean? and let's not forget about Shelley Duvall's smoking performance in The Shining where oh. uh, when she's talking to the child psychiatrist and it's like three quarters mm-hmm. of the cigarette is the ashes there I mean she's a boss with it you know I know. It's just going so long. <laughs> we got to we got to talk about our girl Rosanna Arquette here, and this is a great scene. And she where, is uh, smoking. They go to Denny's. She is smoking. Yeah. Well, they go out. to Denny's for hot chocolate because yeah. Christina Ricci loves hot chocolate, <clears throat> and uh, the name that he he forced her to be when they visit her parents, and she laid on all these bullshit stories about him working for the CIA. She claimed to be Wendy Balsam, and then you know the, he's got a teenage picture of Rosanna Arquette in his locker at the bowling mm-hmm. alley, and then like. They just accidentally sit next to Wendy Balsam and her lame fucking fiance, Don, whatever his name is. And then she's like, hey, aren't you Billy Brown? Didn't you go to jail and all this shit? And, like, you know, she says her name is Wendy Balsam. And then Christina Ricci puts two and two together that, like, you know. And, like, the Rosanna Arquette's, like, so nasty. Like you said, yeah. like, her, her her boyfriend or her fiance or whatever, he, he, they're sitting in a booth and he eventually moves over to sit next to her so they can start making out in the middle of Denny's. And then she's like smoking a cigarette while they're like making out. Yeah. Like it's so fucking gross. Yeah. 
No, that's hot, bro. That's hot. I gotta say, like the Vincent Gallo move, like this, the, you know, this this was a context that I had now that I didn't have when I watched this movie. So of course Gallo wants to run out of the thing, and Christina Ricci's like, "No, fuck that! Like, I want hot chocolate. Like, we should stay. Like, she's gross." And she's even she's even trying to tell him, like, like you know, I know this is who you had a crush on, but you're so much better than her, Billy. Like, she's so creepy, and you're so nice. Yeah. I love that scene too, where she's like, "She's so creepy," and uh, he's like, "No, he's like, I gotta go, I gotta go." And uh, the way he gets up and he runs out and like just leaves her, and he, he's like, he's like, "Don't give me the shit. I'm too good. I'm too whatever." He's like, "Fuck you," you know. And he, he leaves her there, and, like. I gotta say that was pretty much me. Like I pretty much did that to like every girlfriend I ever had. At some point, I left them in a restaurant. <laughs> and a lot of times really? it wasn't even because I did. Yeah. I, I'm fucking. I'm so ashamed of it. <clears throat> and it, it, a lot of times it wasn't even really like because I was like mad at them. It was like the the experience was shitty, or like there'd be like obnoxious people sitting next to us or whatever, and I'd be like, I can't take this. Like let's go. And like if they don't want to go, then you're like, okay, fine, I'm leaving. Bye bye. Like yeah, I did that. I did. I probably I probably did that a good five or six times, and I'm not proud of it. It's 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 a beta move. So this uh so this film's almost biographical, autobiographical for you then, uh, you know, like you felt like uh, I mean I don't I don't like... really think. Yeah, it's weird. Like, I don't really think, like, I had a traumatic upbringing the way Billy did. But, like, yeah, just a lot of the personality traits. It's probably another reason subconsciously why I identify with this film so much. So, um, the other thing I pointed out to you, not to get to what we are staying on topic as far as Gallo. Um, Vincent Gallo has his own website. And uh, it's called VincentGallo.com. <laughs> I know and it's, it's VGMerchandise.com. Yeah. And, uh... Well, you, so you go there, and it's like uh, you get these uh, two photos of them, um, and they're like mug shots, actually. Uh, I don't know if these were like for, like for eight, like his agent had these stills, or if he took these, or these are art photos. And it has a heart that says click. And you go in, and yeah, you get the merchandise. Everything looks, I don't know, it kind of looks a little outdated for today's standards of uh, a website layout, but uh you know, we've got acting, directing, music, and then we get this great page, this merchandise page. And um, you can buy LPs and CDs, posters, and uh, DVDs. He doesn't have any Blu-rays of any of his stuff. They're like, no, you can get the brown bunny. This, this was before DVD. the Blu-ray era. And also, I also <laughs> like, too, when you when you go to vincentgallo.com, that beginning page with the hearts like you talk about, it says... The official website for Vincent Gallo by Vincent Gallo. <laughs> right, right. So it's great. You know, you get this one part though on his merch part of his page that's for personal service, and you go, "Oh, okay. What like uh, is this for like um, working on film?" And it's it's no, it's not. It's actually we got um, uh, in Vincent Gallo evenings, weekends escort, and for fifty thousand, you a lucky lady can fuck vincent gallo <laughs> like, ladies only yeah, though. There's, ladies there, let's be honest there's some gay. criteria on there he's actually like you or me couldn't like hire vincent people, gallo think, but he's oh. definitely homophobic well, i don't really think that he doesn't like gay people. i just don't think he wants he to be homophobic, gay himself though, I, think. I think he is slightly and you get that with this film when that dude's staring at his dick i think that's yeah think he that's didn't like the guy staring at his dick yeah so uh, I thought that was almost like a prison thing, though. Like, if he let the guy stare at his dick, then maybe something bad would happen. Yeah, I don't know. 
So it all uh, on here. I'm going to just read a little bit on the escort thing. He says, "I'm willing to travel worldwide to accommodate clients. However, travel days are billed at fifty thousand per plus all premium flight fees. So you got to pay for his flight. Um, he also wants uh, you to get a STD printout uh, that's required, and also bathing and grooming prior to our encounter. Detailed photos of potential clients also required prior because he doesn't want to fuck any ugly chicks." An extra fee for security to protect me is charged on top of the fantasy fee. Security fees will vary depending on details of an encounter and how much security I will need. Potential clients are advised to screen the controversial scene from Brown Bunny to be sure for themselves that they can fully accommodate all of me. <laughs> yeah, so if, if you have a tight... Um orifice you probably wouldn't want to hire Vincent yeah Gallo. unless you want to get it stretched out he, he wants you to check out the yeah. brown money though to be sure that you can handle uh his girth he's probably just saying that the drum up dvd sales and rentals though i would think so for a million dollars you can also be artificially inseminated with vincent gallo's sperm i'm not really going to get into this but just go to the website but he does uh we'll read this bottom portion though about the jewish a Jewish mother would qualify a baby to be deemed a member of the Jewish religion. This would be added incentive for Mr. Gal to sell his sperm to a Jew mother. His reasoning being that with slim chance that his child moved into the profession of motion picture acting or become a musical performer, this connection to the Jewish faith would guarantee his offspring a better chance at good reviews and maybe even a prize at the Sundance Film Festival or an Oscar. <laughs> So he believes that uh, combined yeah. with his great uh, art genetics, uh, with oh, the yeah. Jewish mother, uh, with Jewish heritage, that this child in any um, uh, forms of media would go far, especially in Hollywood. Yeah. So. Which, which I don't know his ethnic background. I just always assumed he was 100% Italian. Italian or close yeah. to it. Yeah. So I guess Italian with Jewish genes are going to get those uh, reviews but again mm. like you said bat the, the the website's very outdated looking because i think there's one point where he doesn't he say he's like 43 when like in real life now he's like 61 that's right so i mean i think i think the information is a little outdated i don't really know if an italian plus jewish um baby would really get the same reviews today at the sundance film festival that it would have in like 2008 or whatever it was. i think it's i think that uh kanye west would disagree with you sir yeah i don't really know i watched one appearance of kanye west when he was on uh who was it chris cuomo's show like i mean is that recently I, oh no chris cuomo's not like oh, a month oh, ago yeah yeah that's right he's got that internet uh thing now right uh exclusive because he got kicked off cnn i mean it could be on the internet but it's also on like they, they took over wg and i watched it on oh, tv but okay. um yeah i watched it through direct tv stream so um yeah, I don't know. Or I should say I have. I haven't watched a lot of it, but I've seen some pieces of it. But yeah, so I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I, I'm not going to go as far and put him in the same class. You know, like to me, he like Kanye West, from what I saw, he was uh, giving more negative comments where I feel like Vincent Gallo is just giving you the background as to why he thinks uh you could get some good film reviews if that's what you wanted to do well but we've seen uh vincent gallo in a few i mean i've been watching quite a few interviews and he definitely believes that um uh, hollywood is uh dominantly uh ran by uh, people of the jewish faith 
And uh, well, that's why I mean, to qualify that, a Palm Thor or uh, um, Oscar for his film performances or directing, though. So. Well, to qualify that, um, I guess um, we should also, in, in fairness, because if you're going to report one side of it, you might as well report the other. In all fairness, he apparently did get blacklisted to some degree by Harvey Weinstein. Because he was friends with uh, Asia Argento, and he was trying to stick up for Asia, and um, oh, because she was uh, uh, that, accosted by uh, Harvey, yeah, Harvey Weinstein. Who, now, if that, people don't know, was he, he part was she part of the whole coming out, and like, uh, did he get convicted on things he had done to her, or is that just her jumping on the bandwagon exactly? She she came. I don't. I could be wrong. I don't think she testified in the trial because what happened to her was. Um, like past statute of limitations. I yeah. believe Annabella Sciorra came out and testified, even though her whatever, uh, the thing that happened to her was different than what happened to Argento. But uh, I think just to give some background in the in the trial or whatever. But yeah, she she talked about it publicly. Uh, Azia did. Um, she talked about publicly what happened with her. And why, but I don't think she was officially part of the trial. I could okay. be wrong, but I don't think so. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, so I mean, it's 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 all very touchy subjects. But you know, Harvey Weinstein is in jail now, so it's like one of the few people I feel like we can have free reign. And you know, if there was a a, a mountain, apparently he's about to get convicted for a second time uh, on a different trial. I think he's now, gonna so. beat that, and like he's looking for oh, a Bill Cosby loophole. Yeah, I don't I don't know what like, he's hoping to. I think he, they're really trying to discredit the witness or whatever. But uh, he's I guess uh, he's. Uh, of course, any lawyer, any attorney will will say this, and you know they're defending their client or whatever. But they have yeah. high hopes that he's going to be able to find a a loophole from the like very similar to Bill Cosby did for the for like the the other convictions, and um, yeah. he might be able to get a release. And I see the only good thing that about that that'll come of that is that we'll finally get um, a new. Uh, blu-ray 4k release of dogma i think that's the only i don't i don't thing think that could we will up. though well he's gonna no, need to recoup some money because i mean how much money is he blown on all these trials and i mean I'm, well the, costed him over the years so no no have much dude, dude we got we got to wait for harvey to die i mean i'm lucky i got my dogma blu-ray so i don't care when i know yeah, uh, yeah i know new but new, um like, how much you want for yours he's like i ain't so but that you know the dvd's still i mean you can get it for 10 50 i mean it is about what you there was paid. a lot more of those made. yeah what you yeah. would have paid brand new for it but yeah that special edition i'm i'm like well i guess i'll just have to buy that like i mean i'm not spending 100 120 yeah. like for a sealed copy it's up could you get a rip just well, get a rip. I, do, I do actually have a, a rip of it, but like it's not an. I don't think it's a necessity because that's one of those older Blu-rays, right? Too. I don't think it's a necessity yeah. to have that particular one in HD because I mean, is it really that? Does it really look that great? I mean, compared. Yeah, to actually, actually, it does. I, I watched a couple. <laughs> Listen, ago, you're like, no, really actually, good. it does. I'm sorry, sir. <laughs> It really, it really does. It looks like a yeah. brand new movie. It's, it's not, it's not like one of those early Lionsgate, like the Punisher Blu-ray, where you, like you look at it and it's all like washed out. Hmm. And shit. No, it's not like that at all. It looks, it looks fairly good, you know. Um, well, that sucks. Because, because it, because it, it was a release prepared by Sony, sir. We're not talking about some Paramount bullshit. Hey, don't get me started on Sony and their fucking bullshit, fucking artwork, printing skills, and their disc, their disc production and uh, transfers are great, but. Uh, 
I'm not too keen, and I'm not a cardboard cuck, and then my Night of the Living Dead 1990 release didn't come with uh, a slip cover, but look, come on now. You can't just print your, your covers out on your home printer and, and think, oh, because I put them on gloss paper, they'll eat this up. I'm, for $20, sir, I was not, I was not fully satisfied. Don't, don't, don't dance around the issue. Who's the real cardboard cut company in the home video space? Oh, you want me to say it? Yeah, go so ahead. Should and I say get it. on my bats rant? What bat saw recently? Well, we got to talk some Buffalo Sixty Six here. We we've, we've been off we on these tangents about buying Gallo's sperm and uh. Yeah, we we need to get back to the brilliance of Buffalo Sixty Six. Right. But one thing one thing I think I've kind of uncovered bat is uh, the hotel room here. They go to a hotel room. Gallo agrees to go to a hotel room to spend time with Christina Ricci because. He actually has to kill about four hours until Scott Wood, because Scott Wood doesn't show up at his strip club until 2 a.m., so right. he wants to go kill him there, but he's got to kill some time. But this, it's, it, I mean, kind of once I knew it, I could see it, but I never would have thought it before. But I've actually uncovered this this hotel room, believe it or not, bad. This is actually a set. Uh, that's what I thought. That's because it's very too, yeah. it's way too 70s. Of the bowling yeah. alley, because I mean, dude, there's still bowling alleys locally near me that you could go into that have that that retro look to them um that's yeah. not uncommon because i mean a lot of the you know regulars in your bowling alleys are like you know 50 60 year old so like what do you need to update that for to please them like they they, they feel at yeah. home with that style but yeah the motel yeah these these uh these drapes are fucking straight out of like 1978 like 80 80 yeah. you know at the latest and uh, 81 yeah yeah so but yeah but i uncovered it because i was actually one of the versions of the trailer it wasn't like the the original one but it was like another version of the trailer which was like it was mostly a four by three because like that was the aspect ratio that went through the camera that but the obviously they that mad. you showed me where it's like uh stills like uh very that's the that's the one that's on the Blu-ray. Yeah, this was actually a different one that was like very similar with the same music, but it was showing more vi- like actual moving images instead of stills. And on that one, it's like four by three, so it's not cropped down for widescreen, so you can see the tops and bottoms of some shit. And like on this, the shots where they're in the hotel room, you can see the top of the set of the hotel room. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I really like, like the, that you trailer know, you sent me. Where it's just like me. a wooden wall that just ends, yeah. <laughs> the trailer you sent me, I really liked that. Um, yeah, you might be able to yeah. see that. He's got a bunch of stills, but he wants like $1,500 for these uh, right. uh, stills on his website for Buffalo 66 that he hand took. Uh, it's part Which of is funny because he's in, he's in the frame on some of the photos, so how did he take it? But yeah. Right. I yeah. guess we'll have to take Vincent's word for it. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> he, he he probably had a camera with like a little remote, man. Like, I mean, come on. That's how he isn't yeah. that how he did the ending? Was that with photo cam? I'm I, I'm I'm wondering how the ending. I know we're not there yet, it's, but uh, it, yeah, it's done really well. But if you look, you can see some you can see some jiggle. It's just people pretending to be still. Was it now? Did they set the camera up and just like shoot the fr- shoot the shots, or did they use a camera? Because it does look like the same. Uh, um, film stock here. It just seems like uh, we're getting stills. Because everybody stood still and the camera like went around. 
How? With the blood? Like, How did they do it with the blood? Like, with that? Well, if you look at the blood, the blood is just a plastic um, splatter effect. Like it's very them. clearly plastic with the, with the light coming through it. It's, it's, it's very obviously not liquid. It's very obviously but plastic. But I just... Dude, that just is so. I always was fascinated with that too, as well, yeah. and like that movement and every, you know, like those, that style and stuff. Wondering how he did that, and uh, just brings more mystique to this film as well, like in the style. Dude, the strip club scene, in particular, is like so out of like nineteen seventy four. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, like even even the makeup on the girls, they don't look like modern girls. I mean, Christina Ricci's not doesn't really look like a modern girl either, but like even the strip club oh. girls. They all look with their makeup and the, hairstyles. The girls in the nice. little boxes that light up. I mean, I just love that too. How the yeah. li- how it lights up the style. Like uh, Vincent Gallo could have really uh, also had a career in um, directing music videos too. And not to, I yeah. don't want to shit on him here because a lot of people are like these fucking guys in the '90s and early 2000s. Ooh, music video director. Like, yeah, he's got that, and he could have been that. But this has substance. It isn't like a lot of those, yeah. uh, you know, experimental films that was like, okay, this is just like one big music video, you know. It's it's not that, yeah. but some reviewers a... back then probably did state that they thought that he was one of those music video director types. I guess it, it's like I kind of get the I kind of get the perspective of the bitchy critics now yeah. because the critics now are like. You know, a lot of them are actually even younger than me. So, like, all they all they've known is is studio path. They're younger like, than me, up, man. Now, I mean, yeah, you know? they've grown up after the death of independent film on a large scale. So, like, I kind of get that. Like, you would just slag off every independent film uh, and just compare it to like you know Wakanda Forever or whatever. Like, I get it now, but like at the time in like 1998, if you're right, if you're sitting down to write a shitty critics review of buffalo 66 like what the fuck do you want out of a movie honestly you know um 98 too i was telling like uh new that if i if i had a chance like yeah sure you know going and seeing the 60s or 70s would be great if you had a chance to travel back in time but honestly like in my um you know timeline and everything i 1998 was probably one of the most memorable years of my life and that's i guess that's probably pretty sad and it was mainly because of all the great films that were coming out. Yeah. And I go to the video store like um, maybe twice a week. Um, I, there was two things. This was one that I always grabbed, and of course, a copy of because I couldn't, I didn't have a copy of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. There were like certain films I always grabbed. I, I, maybe I told you about uh, on the Chainsaw commentary that the co- that was the same video store that I rented Buffalo from. I would just continue to keep Chainsaw. Yeah, I would never bring it back. I would just keep calling up there and telling him, hey, I want to rent another week. Yeah, I want another rent another week. This one, not so much. I would just like, if it was in, I would grab it. So I was nice about it because I wanted more people to see it, you know, so I didn't like hoard it like that or try to steal the copy. So, Yeah, like it was really, I would say really, I think it started in the dawn of the 90s for me. Like I always loved movies throughout the 80s. But it was really like the 90s and it was like Rodriguez, Tarantino, um, just a bunch of people. Like it was really like through that period. Lynch was doing his thing in the 90s too as well. Um, Yeah, like I love like Lost Highway and shit. So it's, 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 you know, and like I was still in college when Buffalo 66 came out. Was Mulholland a late 90s? Because I remember that being, renting that and uh, really just being blown away by that film too as well. That might be like really early 2000s, like 01, 02, something like that. Still in that era. 
of the great, great independent yeah. cinema coming out. I don't know. That was a little bit bigger budget, maybe, but uh, still had independent yeah, it feels was. to it. So, But, um, but yeah, like... Um... It was really that time period, like up until the very early two thousands, that like really made me go from being a film fan to like really trying to like be a filmmaker. Like I started making short films like right around the year two thousand. Yeah. Um, like I started out in cable access, just doing goofy comedy show ninety nine. But I made my first short film in uh, two, er, very early, like literally like February two thousand one. I think that's like, I got the equipment when I, needed. I made my first short film too, as well. I believe that, or yeah. was working with a. My friend that was probably, he's probably about your age that lived down the street and, you know, really liked Buffalo. We were um, big into the independent scene. Um, he showed me a lot of different stuff. That He's the one that really hit me to IFC and then I, you know, begged my parents to get that channel. I was like, I need this, you know, I need to have this channel. It's important and Sundance and stuff, so... Yeah, we, we got DirecTV in uh, 96, I believe. <laughs> And like, yeah, we got IFC. Prime Star, I, I believe, but I don't okay. know that if I don't know that IFC was included. Maybe it was. I'm not really sure. But then we got. Well, it like, was getting rolled out because I remember correct. when we first got IFC. Bat, it was only on for like six hours a day. Really? And they would loop like the same Italian film over and over. Like it was really obscure shit. It wasn't even like American independent film that you like would recognize at first. It was so low budget, I, dude. I think we didn't get it until 98, 97, 98, somewhere in between there. And I didn't watch Sundance quite as much because. I don't know. Some of the stuff was like a little too artsy fartsy on there for my taste. Um, yeah. But maybe I maybe Buffalo '66 was on there. I don't believe. Mm. I know that's not where I first seen it, but it might have been on there. But Sundance had great things like, uh, which isn't on the DVD or Blu-ray of um, Gangs in New York. But I remember this like huge. They used to have these like spotlights on films that were being made. Yeah. And they had this thing on Gangs of New York on there of them building the sets and stuff. And I remember just being so fascinated. I didn't see Gangs of New York till like maybe three or four years after it came out. Um, sadly, I'm sorry. I should have because that's really great film, but uh, I should have caught it earlier. But I just remember seeing that and just a lot of stuff like that. Um, I remember I think I saw Welcome to the Dollhouse on there, though, but I might have rented it. Mm-hmm. Or the guy that I hung out with down the street uh, that was into film, he might have showed me it too as well. I don't know because we rented a lot. Um, he's the one that showed me American movie uh, documentary. Oh, he's yeah. like, "Oh God, you got to see this!" And I'm like, "Wow, where's the, how do I not know about this being into like horror movies and stuff?" Like, you know? that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I just it was such a cock tease of a time because like all oh, the shit God, you just yeah. talked about welcome to the dollhouse american movie yeah. buffalo 66 like i went i saw these all in the theater like and like i don't i don't want to say i took them for granted because like i really liked them like yeah. i was that was probably the most enthusiastic i was about film and becoming a filmmaker that time so it wasn't like i took it for granted but like you just you just didn't think the world was going to run out of good filmmakers no, and i mean you, didn't. It, you thought it was just going to yeah, get better know. and better man and right like, yeah. yeah and by the time i moved to los angeles in like 2004 like and then i really started like trying to do stuff like really more and like started really trying to like get stuff out there and do stuff and write scripts like more around 07 08 and when like once i got settled in and shit it was just like it was like everything was done already like because what happened was like the early wave of successful independent film cinema like all these um 
and then Miramax cashed in, gobbling up all these movies and distributing. Like everybody set up like their own independent film distribution for like a, like Warner Brothers, Sony, everybody like Universal. Like everybody did it for a few years, and then they just got out of it. And then the market was dead. It was like everything had worn off, and we were just back to like Michael Bay Transformer movies. Now we're entering into the strip club, and we get like the yeah, that girl we gotta, with we the red, pay full attention. The red bottoms yeah. is great. Um, all these girls have a seventies look, or he want, made them up to look very 70s i don't know exactly but it's like he just i think this is obviously a set yeah oh yeah Yeah. definitely but it's like this is obviously a set like he went the outside was a real strip club but the inside is set but dude even the cigarette machine is perfect yeah dude it's like he just uh, like stepping through those doors was like a time portal to uh like 1972 or something because and it just so works and the vibe and then we get the yes the yes song which i think came out in 72 i think that's on like there's second or third album and then yeah these girls in this booth thing uh with the color yeah, change that lights, lights up different colors yeah, yeah. and they all and have it's this... so awesome too go ahead no i was just gonna say like the level of depravity because all these women are like young and like they're all like really good looking yeah. honestly they're all really good looking perfect bodies beautiful but like all the guys in them are like in the place are all like he's like fat and 48 greasy. year old 52 year old fat greasy guys yeah. like it like he obviously did this intentionally and it's like it's so like such a level of depravity like even though like nobody's fucking a donkey or anything in here it's still just such a level of depravity and it's like obviously like he doesn't really exist here like you know belong here and just the i love the thing the slow motion of him this shot of him saying Scott Wood and the girl smiles and points to Scott Wood. Yeah. And Scott Wood is just a fat ass guy in the corner with no shirt with on tie. and a bow tie. Yeah. Yeah, the bow he's tie. got three naked girls around yep. him. Like he's, they're all just doing shots. shots. Like it's just, it's, it's so obviously like not even what a real strip club is like, but it's such a great cinematic fucking thing. Mm. And there's, the, the slow buildup of him walking up to him, like, and you know, he's going to get ready to pull out the gun. And Scott Wood, the look he has on his face. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, and it's all silent and stuff. Like, we just got music, and uh, there's really no, yeah. you don't hear any of the dialogue. You see him mouthing words and stuff. But, yeah, I love when he pulls out the gun and he puts his neck back. Like, oh, I'm going to find, I finally get to blow your ass away. motherfucker. cracks very, his neck, yeah. Very 70s. I mean, I don't know how to describe crime, it. Crime-type uh, vibes to it. So yeah. Yeah, if you look here, bat, it's kind of, I guess, to describe people who haven't seen it, it's kind of like a bullet time effect. You can kind of see Scott's uh, head kind of bobbling a little bit. But all the other shots are perfect. Like when Vincent, I love the shot of like his face is all yeah. distorted. He looks like a caveman. Yeah. Yeah, I guess like, I didn't, this, I guess they helped perfect. really well, though. I didn't really notice a move that, I mean, if it is, it's very slight yeah. and that. No, it's I never it's really just that. the Scott would but like it's obviously a string holding a gun, but it's well disguised. <laughs> yeah, like how the gun's falling through there. Yeah, I couldn't figure yeah. out for the life of me how he did that effect because they that was done so well. I thought it was. It's done um, so well. The reason I thought it was the photo camera thing effect is because um a, a movie we've been talking about because you can only get it in that damn box set is um Salt Lake City Punk. And there's a scene where they're mm-hmm. at a party, and they used. I know how they did the effect because I think I've seen some behind the scenes thing, maybe on IFC or something, where they do this, where they lined up all these cameras and took photos all the way down, and then pieced them all together and did this weird effect in there where they're at a party. I don't. You've seen the film, right? Yeah, but it's been years. So yeah, like I 
I haven't. I saw it in the theater, then I rerun it a few years later on DVD. But it's still been years, and it might even be even plus. more years because these cocksuckers won't let it out of the box set. Like you can only get. It's never been released on Blu-ray, and now it's on 4K. No. It's jumped right to 4K, and you can only get it on mm-hmm. this. Uh, what? What is it? Um, who put the, the box set out? The, the it's Sony, but Sony. it's like the whatever it's Sony Picture Classics 30th anniversary. But but, box the, set. but that movie's not even 30 years old. It's like 24. Yeah, yeah. Well, no, old. it's 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 celebrating the great films of the studio. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's Which not, is 30 years I, old. And then it's another. That's another late 90s film, independent, <clears throat> that came out 97, 98. Another one I remember renting, loving it. That's not even a. That doesn't even feel like a studio film. That feels like an independent film that the studio bought. Yeah. Um, Which I'm pretty sure that was the case. Yeah. But yeah, I guess we should say you know he kills Scott Wood. He shoots him in the head. Then he shoots himself in the head. And then we cut to his parents at his grave yep. arguing, and his and mom listening to the, see the, the Bills game. game. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then we cut back to present day, and it's the split second right before he's going to kill Scott Wood, and he just decides not to. He walks out, he throws the gun away. So a lot of movies do that, and it always feels like a cheap trick. Bad. I always fucking hate that, where like they make you think something's happening. But in this case, like I love the character of Billy Brown so much. I love Vincent Gallo's performance. Like It's like the one time where I feel like it works, where you can breathe easy and be like, oh, thank god he didn't really do it right. you know what i mean because it's like the whole point of this movie bat is it's a guy who has nothing to live for like even before he went to jail and got in trouble with the bookie his life sucked and it just has always sucked and he's you know he's been for how long how many years he's been wanting to kill scott wood and um except we didn't yeah, talk like, about we didn't really get into the bowling alley uh we get like a picture and apparently he was like this like um legendary bowler and like had all these awards there's these trophies yeah. uh he's got like three four trophies in his locker so there's the picture on the wall of him holding the trophy like uh jan michael vincent's character is obviously like uh been not charging him for the locker and holding the ball yeah. and shit because he's such a fucking bowling legend and even asked any good yeah. bowlers and he's like not since you billy like you're the best yeah you know J. Michael Vincer really kisses his ass, and you wonder if it's because he really, like, I mean, I think it's probably because he, he's known Billy since Billy was a kid. Yeah. But yeah. I think it's, I think it's also, too, like, honestly, he feels sorry for Billy. You know what's fucked up, though? You brought up about Jan Michael Vincent having throat cancer and stuff. He's, like, smoking, yeah. though, in the scene. Yeah, so he's, know, like, still smoking. Um, I guess, I mean, I'm a smoker, and it's real hard to quit. So, like, I get it even when you're faced with uh, uh, death deathly related health problems it's like yeah that's not it actually makes you want to smoke more like i would think you know so well i mean it's a combination for sure bat but i'm pretty sure the the bigger factor for jan was his drinking oh really okay yeah he was he was a very severe alcoholic i didn't know that i I haven't looked into him enough i know me and uh newt were talking because i was like yeah i didn't realize that jan michael vinson was in this until my recent uh viewing and um, I said, you know, he's become kind of like a, a cult movie icon amongst uh, underground heads in the past 10, 15 years. I'm not really yeah. sure what the reasoning is. I mean, he's a decent actor and everything, but. I think part of it was Tarantino <laughs> talking up Big Wednesday so much for m- so many years. Okay. Yeah, he will. He'll do yeah. anything. You know, him apparently talking about any film will really do well for it. Uh, obviously, Thriller or Cruel Picture uh, really pushed it. I mean, not that it's not. I think it's a great film. You may disagree with me, but, uh, you know. 
Well, one thing we both got to agree on, Bat, is Thriller or Cruel Picture is the film that turned us both into cardboard cucks. <laughs> hey, now, yeah, cardboard, but hey, it's not a slip. It's a box. And it's got slips yeah, they too. got me for fifty-five. They got you for a hundred and ten. Yeah, so. but they 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 smashed my fucking uh, boxes in transit, so I got four of those fucking case, those Amazing. sexual cases. Now I had them. Somewhere. You got substandard cardboard. And then yeah, and then a couple of rare those, substandard couple cardboard. of the slips actually, like they were dented, and I got replacements of those. So I got the other ones that were dented a little bit. And I got them framed and hanging over my bed now. So yeah, yeah. Because it was good so artwork, it, you know. I'm not going to say it wasn't. The, the artwork sold me. The movie That's didn't, I'll say that. Yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. But it's a great... I, was I mean, a, okay, man, let's, like, compared to what the fuck is coming out now, Thriller, Girl Picture is a great independent film, right? I mean, are we in agreement on that? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I have to watch it again all the way through. I've only seen it once. So, yeah. But one thing I will say, it's it's definitely worthy of us covering at some it's point. It's Kino. For it, but it's for sure. Yeah. You'd agree it's Kino, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I've never, not for a second. And honestly, watching this movie and the visual style, I mean, I can't oversell, we can't oversell it enough, right, Bad no. how beautiful looking oh film God, yeah. Buffalo 66 yeah. is. And that's kind of got me wanting to, to re-examine the... Because I remember the photography of uh, Thriller being awesome. Yeah, that's actually almost reminiscent. He does this weird uh, thing in there, um, Bo, with this. Uh, he got these cameras or whatever for that one fight scene uh, that they use for uh, the missile or the uh, rocket launches, where he could do right. the slow motion fight scene and shit like that. So he used special cameras, very uh kubrick actually it predates kubrick's barry linden so um again just messing with like you know that shows you like a real true auteur of film when they go like to great lengths to do something that's necessarily not it's not necessary but they're going to do it anyway because they know it'll look great and uh it is painstaking to do these things like this uh reversal uh film stock that uh gallo used like yeah, that's a headache, right. but and nobody seemed to want to go with it. But he knew that it would yeah. look amazing, and it does. So, I really love the wrap up too when he just he walks out of the Scott Wood thing. You know, he throws the gun away and he he calls Rocky because he called him before and said, you know, you can have all my stuff at the Bellion. He tells him yeah. like, I take it back, I take it back. He's like, guess what? I got a girl. Yeah. I got a, so like. Really, the arc, honestly, and like it's not even overstated because it's very apparent. The arc of this movie is about a guy within one day, and again, I think I think it's problematic for a lot of people in modern day who want everything to be nice and neat and have a you know moral whatever. But he pretty much kidnaps a girl, and the girl falls in love with him, and uh, he uh, finds a reason to live all all within one day. But you know the weird, I mean? but the weird thing about that him being like uh the kidnapping and stuff like that is this is like mm-hmm. some weird documented effect of where like uh the girl will, syndrome will yeah will fall in love with their with their captor or whatever so that's yeah. kind of what's going on here but it is a love story too you know i guess um i just wanted to mention about brown bunny since we're never going to cover it and we're on the gallo fest yeah, here we are i told you i'll cover it with you <laughs> okay we'll brown well bunny. i just want to say that there's one, a lot more one game... i just didn't think we were going to get into the semen cell. i thought we were going to uh, save the semen uh uh sales like i didn't think we were going to go all the way on buffalo six we had to cover I, thought we were, I thought that was what we we're going to save brown buddy we had to cover but... everything that had to do with uh with uh <laughs> 
Vincent Gallo here, but no one, I was reading one guy uh, actually believes that. Cause like we both are in agreement that Brown bunny, I'm sorry, Mr. Gallo. We love Buffalo 66. We see you're an artist, but we really don't like, if you're listening out there, we really don't like Brown bunny. I know you thought it was the greatest film you'd ever made, but I'm sorry, but yeah. Buffalo 66 is respectfully the, disagree. Yeah, we respectfully disagree. We do believe that Buffalo 66 is the greatest film that you ever made. And it is probably yeah. in the top 10 of the greatest films that's ever been made. But one guy, one reviewer that. actually believed that uh, Gallo made Brown Bunny just so he could get a blowjob. <laughs> no, I, I, I don't think he's really, you know, he needs to, you know. Yeah, and he dated. Make a feature length film to get a blowjob. I don't know. He's such. But, you know, given that whole stuff we, uh, you know, we doing research, we found on him how about, you know, he had been a sex criminal for masturbating yeah. in public and stuff. I mean, you know, you couldn't put it past him that, you know, he might make a film. I'm not saying just, but I mean, to get a blowjob on screen in his film like because uh, i mean that's really what the film culminates to like that's the grand finale well it's oh. it, it, it well it's the whole point of the movie in, in a lot of different ways um right. but I, the one thing i will say like if he would have got an on-screen blowjob in buffalo 66 it would have been like almost like you could justify it because there's so much the writing was so great in buffalo 66 um with all the flashbacks yeah. and the little the the billy brown character is so fleshed out to him like you know because the he goes back to the hotel and he you know he's all happy he buys the hot chocolate and a heart-shaped cookie for christina ricci and the movie ends with them just holding each other in bed real quick shot yeah. it's like if, if the movie would have ended with with her blowing him and like him coming all over and stuff like you would at least have understood that yeah. in that the context of that film brown bunny is very emotionally uh, detached, yeah. I guess you could say, and oh, it's very observational perfect. filmmaking. Yeah. 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 So I mean, I mean, I'm again, like I told you, like I was personally very disappointed in Brown Bunny because I had very high expectations. I felt like Buffalo '66 was one of the best movies I had ever seen. I think he tried to take uh, like a page from Harmony Corinne's, uh, you know, playbook yeah. and making movies, and it just didn't work for him. Because, like I said, right. uh, from what I understood, like. Um, a lot of the people were real in that in Brown Bunny, mm -hmm. and like he just ran he around filmed them without their well, yeah, and then he just paid them afterwards to sign the release. Yeah, yeah, I mean, and then at that pet store, I think that guy was somewhat involved. They probably handed him like a some lines to say that were just completely normal, like okay, you're yeah, you're yeah. actually working at the pet store. I'm going to ask you these questions, and here's the answer. Like we asked him, how long do these bunnies live? And he's like five years. Just five years, and uh, I looked it up. Actually, that's incorrect. They can live from five to nine in captivity. But uh, yeah, anyway. Yeah. Like we we really didn't do it this year, just because there's other things I wanted to do. But like we kind of been playing a prank the last couple years. Bad as we we upload an inappropriate movie on Christmas Day, and we didn't do it this year. But like it, it's actually been very successful for us. Last, I, I thought think it was this last was going to be before. the Christmas. I thought we would do this for Christmas. No, this is the January. Yeah, yeah. I know you said 2023, and uh, we are 
Yeah. That's, a, that's a little bit behind the curtain. We are recording this, uh, obviously, before the new year. So, but, uh, yeah. but we use a time machine to go to actually upload it later on its appropriate date. So. <laughs> right. No, yeah, like, like I mean, I could have planned it out. It's just the way things change because I, I did things a lot differently this year, Bat. Like, usually we just uh, do two episodes a month. I did four in October, and I did, I believe, three in no- November. And I was trying to get three in for december so it just it, it wasn't conducive and also uh zach's schedule changed so have like, you been doing i kind of skipped I, the tradition assumed, this year i assumed the stuff that you're putting up was stuff that you and zach had um art like recorded like a while ago because i know zach's really busy you you guys have been doing new stuff like yeah i didn't realize oh, yeah. that i know yeah. that you guys have been i know i've seen you've been putting stuff up but i just thought that they were like older stuff that you guys said done nah, a nah, while it's, back it's, it's all fresh yeah. i mean with the zach stuff is because i got uh, you know kind of like with you as well as like i like i grab you guys when you are available yeah and if i need like like the saving silverman episode like it, it like i like we we're kind of due for an episode so we recorded it and the next day i uploaded it um but like um but normally with me and zach it usually works out to where uh same with you usually too is i usually record with you guys a week before it gets uploaded so but no we never tanked anything for months and months okay. or even a month at a time well you yeah, know you no. took that break uh when you moved and you hadn't gotten your desk set yeah up i didn't have all my equipment I, I didn't have a desk i or thought anything. you were putting up some stuff though so i assumed you had some stuff um you know on backup during that period no like i think i want to say the only thing like i rushed to record as much as i could i want to say maybe i only i think i recorded episode two in december and i think maybe i put one out in january like i went back to the old dead schedule of one a month i think january and february if i'm not mistaken i put up like one you know because because like it was kind of fucked up too back because what happened was i mean this is a boring story but it's just you know, whatever. I'm just talking to you. Is uh, I actually got my desk in time when I moved. So, so I threw on my old desk because it was literally falling apart. And I ordered a new desk at the new house. And I got it. And I and I I needed to put it together over the weekend, even though I was sick, so I could go back to work. You know, the following Monday. And uh, it was an L-shaped desk. So it was two pieces a smaller desk and a bigger desk and uh they only gave me enough screws to do one side. So I had to put together the the smaller was side to idea? do my work stuff. No, it was, uh, I don't even remember really the name of the brand now, but, that, man. but yeah, so I contacted them because, you know, I've done furniture before and pieces are missing and they mail you pieces. So they're like, oh no, we can't do it. I'm what? Like, okay. So it was like, I literally, it took me months where, and I was literally, I was ordering shit from like nutsandbolts.com, like all this bullshit. I was assembling wait, 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 this hardware on. of these screws. Let me get this straight. Do you call them and they couldn't send you what they should have yes. included already? I would have been like, okay, well then yeah. you can come pick this fucking thing up in the front yard because that's where I'm throwing it. I want my money back. Like, yeah. Fuck? So it was like a $200 desk. They're like, we'll give you a partial refund and you, you just go find the shit yourself. But the problem was with the, the instructions had just had pictures of screws right didn't have sizes it wasn't like three eighths inch whatever so like i had to actually take some screws out of even what i had and measure them myself and guess and like i know it sounds like it would be easy but there's like so many different sites you know be like if you bought ikea furniture and there's just yeah. like shit missing and whatever you know 
And, uh, yeah, it took me a couple months. And also, I was, like, really, really, really sick. I got really sick during the move from, like, whatever we wrestled Well, you were even so, before that, too, right? Like, like uh, before you left, you were – because I remember yeah. that was the last uh, – last, uh, last Christmas. Right? Yeah, yeah, it was, like, December – it was, like, December 2nd. It was, like, my dad's <clears> birthday. Were... The guy came to my house, and he was, like, you guys got to get out. Like, we're selling this house. Right. Yeah, no, I remember because we recorded um, that uh, – uh, thing for EC right, and you were sick around that yeah. time period too. So I was kind of worried about yeah. you actually because it was like um, you know, the whole still COVID scare and stuff, and it seemed yeah. like it was hanging around for a while. And uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. I, the, thankfully, I never had COVID. Yeah, it no, was, but um, you got something. Yeah, uh, was it yeah. off of respiratory or something? You weren't doing good. Pretty much, pretty much. That's what it was because. Yeah. Uh, just to give some background, the, we had major, major fires, forest fires the last yep. couple of years. So, like, no matter how well you really clean, and that was kind of my mistake was I never really cleaned under the furniture at the old place. So then when we moved, like, a lot of shit got rustled up. And Yeah, I remember that summer you horrible. were like, I was like, so how's everything going out there? Because uh, your region, I guess there's bad wild forest fires, and you're like... Literally, yeah. I should take up smoking because uh, it's like I yeah. like I smoke. I'm smoking ten packs of cigarettes a day right now. Like you can see it in the house, and I'm like, holy fuck, dude! I was just joking, yeah. but I didn't really, yeah. I didn't realize it was affecting you that badly. And it was, so. yeah, and there's like no, there's nowhere to run either because like your whole town for hundreds of miles is is covered in smoke. You know what you, you know, need to like get. A- like because my grandmother was doing this, we were having some wildfires here, and they weren't really they weren't on that level. Um, this yeah. was uh, summer before last summer, and um, she's got oh, she's you know eighty three years old. She had she was getting affected by it because she's got allergies and stuff like that, and she's real sensitive. Yeah. And she had to run air purifier, uh, air purifier, and it was helping a lot actually. Yeah. So I would recommend that to you because you're still in the same region, right? Yeah, I need to get a big one again, um, you know. to at least clean up at least one room at a time. It's not like, good I do for have a small one. either, man. It's really bad it's for It's not good for anything, dude. Because yeah. it's, it's literally, there's a difference between dust and ash. Mm. And I could see a lot of the stuff when we moved and uncovered shit. Like, you could you could see a lot of the ash. Yeah. And also, also too, it, it's it's not just the forest fires. It's, we had, we had um, uh, the last structure we had over 600 or the last fire we had over 600 structures burn over like a month so it's it's all like the toxic shit that buildings are made out of oh wow yeah that that's the shit that really fucks you up so but either way i want to kill scott wood i'm gonna fucking kill him <laughs> really my life i'm gonna ruin your life i'm gonna kill him. no but like i don't know what to say like i mean i really hope this commentary if you, i mean i'm sure we're gonna have a lot of like old school buffalo 66 fans come out of the woodwork because yeah. i bet that's what i'm hoping because that's how a lot of individual episodes get found out on this podcast bet is uh we have we covered obscure movie that you think nobody's gonna listen to it and then it ends up being a popular like who knew people wanted to hear right. orgasmo on christmas last year but they did this will probably and, this um, will probably rake in i'm, I'm just estimating but uh ten thousand plays yeah i mean over the course of a year yeah. or two i wouldn't I, I wouldn't doubt it I'm i mean hoping. it's probably gonna break records i'm hoping that uh we- it'll attract the attention of mr vincent gallo uh, by the way mr vince gallo we're not judging you by any means we no. are we think you are one of the greatest filmmakers out there and we're not just sucking yeah. your dick and brown bunny um we did give our honest opinion we were not like you know blown back by brown bunny 
Um, and a lot of people weren't. And I, now, in retrospect, apparently it has ruined his career as a filmmaker. Like he's he only directed, that. yeah, he only directed one more feature <clears throat> film. If this information is correct, called Promises, written in water in 2010. Yeah. So if because because we I can't remember if we talked about it on the show or not, Pat. But a couple years or a couple years, a couple months ago, we were trying to win that big billion dollar Powerball, and neither That's one right. of us won it. No, we didn't. Somebody there was there was in, a guy who won somebody, it, but it wasn't me or yeah, you. Yeah, California did. Was it Northern California yeah. there? It wasn't a guy. No, it was, I thought it was it a was, girl. I read that. Uh, yeah, girl. I don't know because the last I heard of it, they hadn't identified the person. But like, yeah, like if, if we would have won that. And like again, that just shows that the world is not a fair place. Because yeah. if we would have won it, like either one of us would have won it, we both would have, you know, opened up a film studio. And like, yeah. like for sure, like I would have bought five or six batches of Vincent Gallo semen just to give him the funding he needed to make another film. You know what I mean? I, I would definitely finance if I came into some money. I would definitely finance. I don't care what the craziest project if you want to do. Brown Bunny too. Just so yeah. that he could do some more work out here, and uh, and yeah. yeah, man, really back him to where like it's like, oh yeah, well Hollywood won't finance give you ten million, but we will, and no yeah. problem, man. We weren't blinking, you know. No, we'll yeah. give you the money, man. Like yeah, for sure. <laughs> he he's going he's going to make some kino hmm. one way or another. I mean. It, it, it's a hard act to follow to try to follow up something like Buffalo. So you see, that's kind of like the thing. I think Tarantino had the same problem too. Like he never really could quite live up to the level that Reservoir Dogs was. But with Gallo, it's just so much even more of a mountain to climb because his first film was Buffalo '66. But um, we can't make yeah, a movie I mean, like that now, especially some of the shit yeah. he's pulled and like all the stuff he got on Brown Bunny, where he was like, oh, like he's running some casting. Like he dated Chloe. From what I was reading, like right. they, I don't know if they officially, but they had some kind of consensual relationship, and that was a consensual. He didn't force her, or pressure her to do that. Um, she's even admitted that, you know, in later right. interviews. So, but now there's this conception, you know, preconceived notion that he's like sleaze, some kind of sleazy type director right. that forces girls to do things they don't want to do. And that's just not the case here. So, well, yeah, well, that's, you know, there was like a, a long period of time where directors like Adrian Lynn were making lots of erotic thrillers now. And like now their, their work is judged in a different, you know, we are in a very sexless time of cinema so people look back at sexually charged cinema and they think oh the guy making this must have been fucking you know some whatever degenerate uh, yeah and it's just like no it's like there was a time before you know all you little you know softies were born yeah where people actually did shiver there and i think that's really again i'm not making any excuses for james franco because i don't know the man hmm. I, I can't you know i can't qualify how good or but but i but i think I think that's the 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 problem people like James Franco get into is they're willing to do whatever on camera and they just assume that anybody else who shows up on a project is too. Yeah. And then next thing you know, it's like that's why I just feel like you know, and like in all honesty too, like like I think American porn is like very terrible now. Like just well, they're know, back to the loops. It they're back the to the loops. It's, it's straight back yeah. to loops now. Um, is what it is but, and. 
obviously. But I almost feel like a director now, Bat, has to go find a porn actress and train them for a while and get them, you know what I mean? Oh, give them acting lessons and stuff. Yeah, Yeah. give them acting lessons, let them do the role, you know, help them out. And then, like, you you just got to get people that you know from square one there's no there's no negotiation because that 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 could be misconstrued 10 years later you know you just got to get people that like are ready to fuck on film yeah and get them to be uh you know actors as well like i mean honestly like that's personally well i think what i would do if i was running a film studio i feel like the problem too in this era is that they're like a lot like gallo is operating in the wrong era because um Back in the 70s, you had uh, porn actors that were all uh, professionally trained, and a lot of them broke, got into the porn industry because they were hoping to break into mainstream cinema like uh, Jamie Gillis. Um, you know, so uh, you wouldn't have to have trained these guys if you were operating in the 70s. You already right. had uh, you already had that level of uh, professionalism there. And they were like, yeah, I'll fuck on camera too, you know? So, you, yeah, you don't get that now. Now you get a bunch of, yeah, they're good-looking yeah. gals, guys and gals, and but they don't, none of them are, could, you know, hold the scene. They don't have the, yeah. the background in the arts. Right, yeah, yeah absolutely. Whereas back then, a lot of kind of frustrated actors and actresses you know, did porn basically. Yeah, they had no other alternative really. They couldn't break into a uh, regular film. Some of them could, like uh, Stallone. Stallone was able to transition. Well, he only did that one film, but I mean, he hadn't done. He really didn't do anything before that. So I mean, he kind of right. did come from porn and stuff. So. Yeah, I mean, when you really can't get, you know, you're getting big leagued, or there's no interest in you being part of a like. A real production film production like sometimes you just kind of run into people who are making this little sleazy film or whatever and like you just jump at the chance just to work right know? yeah absolutely but yeah i mean i don't want to ramble on too much other than just people need to watch buffalo 60 or, or even like me like when i watch this again back because uh, you know like you said like we didn't both of us we didn't watch this film for years because we watched it so much in the past yeah and it's just like it was so refreshing to see it again and like even though i knew pretty much which scene was coming where it's like there was so much lines of dialogue i was so familiar with and like even the you know the the way the actors would say them and shit especially gallo it's just so memorable it's like i don't know if it's really a quotable movie because a lot of the lines when you say them outside of the context of the movie people don't really get it but it's like it's definitely like there's so much that just sticks in your head about this film i mean it's really a true unique original vision and uh yeah it's like i don't know like i mean it's awesome that you can buy it on blu-ray for 10 bucks mm-hmm. and everything and watch but it I almost wish for free right now too as well yeah so. i almost wish somebody did, would do a 70 dollars cardboard edition just to get people talking about this film again yeah i mean i you know if uh if a uh, severin or vinegar syndrome uh, wanted to do a special edition and they did like a making of uh our longer feature length uh featurette with vincent gallo and stuff i would i would i would pay 50 60 dollars for it and i wouldn't even think about it yeah but that's you know the difference between some piece of shit that was like oh yeah that wasn't good when i rented it on vhs back in you know the 90s like why would i want to pay that much now right 
that's not it didn't did you know it didn't improve any it wasn't good i don't know why you think that's worth a lot and you know it's kind of ironic that they try to do this a lot of these boutiques are trying to do this now because yeah. um even when they started hitting dvd these would have been uh, films that would have been featured on a multi-pack to sell them to you right. like you would have gotten two films or four films some mgm a lot of it's mgm licensed stuff and it's like yeah that's yeah. great those i loved those double features we both talked about those mgm horror double yeah. features and stuff those were great but they were great at the time yeah they were great yeah. at the time because they were a cheap and b you know, like if you didn't like one of the films like the other film was usually good but it's like yeah i'm gonna go pay 60 dollars like this is some fucking criterion grade shit and it's not like you're trying to sell me it like it's criterion grade and it's not it's, it's just not All right yeah. Your price and criteria. Yeah, unfortunately, it's, it, from what I've heard in the past, it's very hard to get stuff licensed from Lionsgate. They just don't want to do it, which is weird because they don't really cash in on it that well. But um, I think that's probably the only thing holding it back. But uh, but then again, I don't know. It's, it's hard to say because, like, how the hell did – because Sony licensed shits out too. And, like, how did it get to this point in time where Sony directly is doing a 4K of SLC Punk but nobody even did a Blu-ray of it in right. the last, like, 20 years, you know? Yeah, no, it's a great and it's a great film too, and it's like um, you know it it would do all right. I guess, and that's another thing they don't have faith that it'll do all right. That they have to put it in this overpriced box set that apparently is like all the um, uh, cases and stuff are damaged in and stuff, and is now marked yeah, down to yeah. about what is it down to one hundred and seventy or something. No, a one forty. One forty. The last I saw, the one copy of SLC Punk was uh, where people were were scalping it off. People were paying sixty five bucks just to get a copy. They know what it looked oh, like. Oh, I saw forty like, something you can just put... on eBay. I, it's still too expensive for me, considering I don't. It, ju- it jumped up though. Oh, did I'm it? telling you, if yeah. if you follow them, right. like the ones that I was following that had the bid, like I've seen some people doing buy it now at ninety and shit. Yeah. But it's like just buy the set for one forty, honestly. Well, yeah, I mean, if it's like 90, like I would pay 50 bucks for it if I had a 4K player right now, but I don't, and it doesn't yeah. come with the regular Blu-ray. No, so it doesn't come with anything. Just... Yeah, it's just not like a smart purchase, and I want to wait and test the waters here and see if they actually will break some of these movies off. And uh, maybe yeah. if they see what's going on on eBay, for, for instance, SLC Punk, they'll go, oh, well, maybe this can sell standalone, uh, which I... I assure you, Sony, it can. Like, there are people out here that love that movie a lot, you know, that would pay. They would pay $35, $40 for, for the 4K. But that's, that's why I'm questioning, though, Bat, was they never felt the need to put it on blue. Yeah. So it's like, I think they're going to wait till every single one of them scratched up, greasy, <laughs> bent up box sets has been sold. Because, like, they're not going to want to do a reprint of the, because, like, the, the first edition of one of those box sets they did which had a lot less movies in it, like went for a lot once it got out of print. So it's like, I really think they're going to ride that until every single one of those is fucking sold. Because they're not going to do anything to undermine the sales of that expensive box. It's funny you bring up about these, I was wondering what this greasiness and this residue, like I've got some, actually it's funny because now I heard what it's called. It's called off-gassing or something. And it has to do with the production of uh, the actual disc. But I bought that. Yeah. Remember, I told you I got that um, uh, Outer Limits MGM old box set, DVD right. box set. It's got it going on in there too. So I think it's like, yeah. 
and maybe aging can bring it out or whatever. Nothing's wrong with those discs, but I noticed this like weird residue yeah. in some of my some of the some of the used stuff I'm buying, and then like um, some stuff I haven't played in a long time. I'm opening the cases up, and I'm seeing this weird residue it's not i don't know it's not greasy i don't know exactly what it is exactly it's the soft it, it is it is grease it's the petroleum from the plastic right. getting released over it's time and out. depending yeah yeah and depending how because i've seen it a little bit very rarely with blu-ray cases yeah and it would usually be like stuff that was very old that i could tell was sitting around in a warehouse but now with, with, with 4k it's happening releases. with those yeah. black plastic cases the way they're made or whatever they're made out of and also the way they're stored the mexican factory which uh, you know, creates most of the ones they, uh, you know, that we get in North America. Like it's, it's got a real major problem. So like what sucks is like they're printing the disc and they're slapping them in there. And like, I guarantee you the greases are already Kate. The cases are already greasy. They're, they're not getting greasy in the one month time between no. it gets packaged and then mailed out. Like they're using, old, and that's just like quality cases, control, right? They're old cases. Yeah. The best, the best thing you can do is fucking, Take the disc out. I would, like everybody's like, take this and wipe it. It's like the best thing I've ever fucking found for discs is to wipe it on your t-shirt. That's what I do. Well, I'm gonna tell but you. But for the actual with uh with with media like most forms of media and stuff, um, and people might go, oh no, you don't want to do that. Don't listen to them. They just want you to buy some special cleaner or something. I use it on my yeah. vinyl. I use it on pretty much anything plastic because it vapes off. A little bit of rubbing alcohol on a rag will clean anything yeah. off. It's super safe because it e evaporates immediately. So that's a safe if you're going to use some kind of stringent to clean stuff. I, dude, I see lots of people on Blu-ray.com <laughs> saying that that they just they just head straight to the kitchen and they just wash it in the sink. Yeah, that with works too. Palm oil and shit. Yeah. I was like, I won't go that far. I'm going to wipe it on my shirt and like if it doesn't work or if it's like whatever. But for the actual greasing case, the best thing you can do, this is what I do, take the disc out, clean those up, put those off to the side somewhere. Um, take a Kleenex. Kleenex, I found, absorbs it the best. Wipe, all, wipe as much of the grease off as you can with the Kleenex and then leave it open-faced for about four or five hours. Just let it dry out and then usually you'll be good. This movie, this uh, episode of Movie Graveyard was brought to you by Kleenex uh, Tissue. Yeah. Uh, it's the best for cleaning up your uh, visual media discs when you get them from Mexico. Yeah, yeah. And, and you will get them from Mexico, especially if you want to buy any $40 uh, Screen Factory yeah. Vinegar Central. Oh, hold on <laughs> now. Now Paramount uh dimension releases are some of them yeah. i just got that uh scream yeah it's old but it's new it's an oldie but it's a yeah. newie i got that scream uh, blu-ray set from walmart and it was produced in germany and there was no off-gassing yeah. whatsoever so we're still getting some german stuff uh occasionally and of course if you import I, yeah. uh uh, film straight from Germany, you won't get that either. Which you do buy a lot yeah. of uh, German releases of I stuff. Do. Yeah. I do, and they never like Ger Germany <clears throat> is producing a lot of the actual you know 1080p Blu-rays. Um, uh, unfortunately, a lot of the 4Ks are coming through Mexico, 
and they would use the green. It's also just the, the, the 4K cases in general are more successful. The black for There's like a name for it. It's like the Viva Elite case. That one's always greasy, greasy. Viva Elite. Came, came. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it's always full the of The Viva Elite, and it's elite for the grease. It's it's the yeah. it's the finest in Mexican grease. It's chicken grease. That's what I heard. I yeah. gotta say though, th- this problem reared its head for a lot of people recently with the Child's Play release yeah. from uh, Screen Factory. I heard about I, like, that. Yeah, like that's pretty much where all the Johnny come lately's. And I'm thinking, like, do you even Kino, bro? Because if you're buying like <laughs> 30, 40 know. releases a month, like me, like I've known about this shit for a good two plus years. So <laughs> really Kino, bro. I wonder if they're yeah. carry. Uh... 4k big deluxe that apparently they've contacted me and um the by email here recently and they've informed me that my release will be on its way it's delayed i um the thing is though i never ordered it so i will gladly yeah. uh accept that uh in the mail if it comes um and you can send me a box to return it because you made a mistake it's not coming home to you so uh but yeah mm-hmm. i'm I am anticipating that will roll into my PO box here uh, whenever they get discs out, and I'm glad that they're the 4K. Okay. Yeah, the I 4K don't think it will. Edition with the what has it got like a button or a magnet or something? So it's got some extras. I don't in there. know. Yeah. I don't know. I'm sticking with the blue. I don't. I don't even. <laughs> hey, well, look. Uh, you know, if you made a purchase recently, apparently they're just mistakenly sending them out to you. So, which I did. I. And this was on your recommendation to buy this damn box set of uh, Friday the 13th. So I made a large purchase uh, with them recently. And so that's... Yeah. Uh, on my recommendation when you've been drooling it was, over it, it was, for, for a year plus. Come on. It, come clean now. It wasn't. It hasn't been like a year. It's been about six... Maybe, no, not even. I think I was like, no, oh, I need to on, get this on. finally. Um, but yeah, no, I wasn't... And hey, I told you, I wasn't as... I wasn't as impressed as you said. You were like, "Oh, it's going to be the greatest box set you've ever bought," and for ninety bucks, for ninety five no, no, plus dude. shipping, for, I... for 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 compared to fifty five dollars vinegar syndrome cardboard. Come well, on, maybe dude. it was free it's... shipping. Maybe it was like, but with tax, it was stuff. it was quality. It was very fair. No, price. it's cool. It's like, it's cool. It's like I didn't knock my socks off or anything just because of the price tag along with it. I mean, if it was like. 50 bucks i would have been like a lot more thrilled but then you know getting when you should get once i have to buy media and it costs me like a hundred dollars i'm gonna get a little bit you know more judgmental on the releases i just but look how much you're getting though yeah. look how much you're getting you're not that's getting true. two films which which is what vinegar syndrome would sell you for 90 that's bucks true. dude yeah i mean no it was not it was not on the vinegar syndrome level of like um you know how much i paid and stuff like that uh, and they got and uh, you know unlike vinegar syndrome and shortly after i ordered it actually it came which is amazing yeah. you know you don't get that with vinegar syndrome uh, no. i gotta say i'm having bad luck because like i had something i bought directly from shout scream that i needed to come before christmas and i don't think it is and um also too kino lorber just like i like they just sat on my last order i sent in mine's already ago. sitting in the peel box i just didn't make it down it came today yeah. uh the order got delivered but my i because i'm cheap fucker um i the town that i live in i don't actually pay for a peel box there because it's like i don't know 10 15 dollars more so um the town that i work in actually I have a P.O. box at that, and it's like a half hour away. 
So a lot of people would be like, that sounds crazy. But I'm always over. I work daily over there. So I just, when I get time in between, I'll swing over and pick up my mail and stuff or after work. Right. But, um, you know, Saturdays I don't work. So, and, uh, they close at noon and I just, I was walking out the door. I had my car, uh, warming up cause, uh, we've been, uh, experiencing a lot of, uh, winter wonderland blizzard here. And, course, uh, yeah. yeah. And so, and I GPS it cause I was like, man, do I have enough time with traffic? And I, I Googled it and it said it would take me, I wouldn't get there. I would get there right as they closed. So I went shut the car right. off and said, ah, I guess I'll just, cause I got, um, some other stuff coming and it should be here Monday. So, uh, I figured, well, I'll just go Monday. I have some, I clean houses. So I, I'm in between and I have some blocks there and I figured, well, I'll just go right. pick up all of the media that I have coming on Monday. So, and I have enough, we were doing this and, I have a bunch of short, like, Christmas gift wrapping. I don't need to be distracted by uh, watching new movies yeah. or whatever this weekend, I guess. I need to take a break. I can't keno, like, nonstop, you know, every weekend. Do you even keno, bro? Come on. I, we just keno'd like a motherfucker with us. I mean, I think, I feel Kino like... hard. I feel like us covering this film will either, like, mm-hmm. people will either fucking be like, oh, fuck these guys and, and like people just hate you and be like oh, so pretend yeah. oh they covered the so pretentious they like this pretentious piece of shit the vincent gallo or like uh the vincent pc he came in a girl's yeah, mouth he how dare yeah, he direct a film the, the pc nuts will be like oh they're misogynistic and racist because <laughs> they like vincent gallo or like or or and this is what we're hoping for or we'll get like this massive group of people that are like yeah yeah, you yep. Kino, bro? Yeah, we Kino, bro. Like, we're true Kino. I'm, I'm telling you, 2023 is going to be the year that we take a stand against Kino. And I don't, you know, this is all a lot of movie hoarder shit. This is unrelated topic. But I've been telling you, okay, like, shit is dying, and it, it's time to take a stand. Like, we need to put a line in the sand, and it needs to be drawn. Who's staying with Kino, and who's going to go the way of streaming TikTok <laughs> bullshit? <laughs> I think we should, every time that you have me on the show, we should grab something from the 90s that would have been, like, real hot on yeah. Sundance or IFC or, like, yeah. you know, real real Kino back then. And that's what we should be just straight covering that shit that's just, like, great from, yeah. from the independent bottom. But, no, like, you know, I think we have great listeners, honestly, because I look at what, you know, I mean, every... I've never done an episode... Um, for the downloads or did whatever even like the more mainstream films we covered i've always did it because i wanted to talk about it yeah. and i wanted to do it um and even the stuff where like you know uh just out of fairness i let zach pick a movie he's always picked good stuff mm. you know like like we like we did bill and ted's excellent adventure not because we want to fucking rope in a bunch of people who've heard of the movie like we like we like it we wouldn't talk about it if we didn't like it you know what i mean right um but that being said, it's really the most obscure shit. I mean, the most, like, uh, you know, like the only time, the only one time it ever worked, and again, it was just we wanted to talk about it, was years ago we did an episode about Jumanji, and that's like our most right. downloaded episode. The second most downloaded episode of all time, shockingly enough, is fucking Cannibal Run. Really? So you don't know. Yeah, wow. and I've covered a lot more mainstream films over the years that, you know, like, I mean, every 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 uh episode gets you know good amount of plays over time but like the shit that goes hot and goes out like like uh bat um the uh the poughkeepsie tapes was a 
burner for about a year after we released it, oh, dude. But people couldn't get it. Oh. Yeah, that was. So, I, I actually really love that film. That I, have, I haven't seen it. That was from. Um, there's all these unreleased. I remember the longest time Gypsy yeah. tapes didn't come out. There's another one. I wanted yep. to talk to you about covering it. It still yet has to come out, and it's um, Ricky Six. Did you ever see that? Yeah, that was or, or no no. No, which one? Is that the Van Beber one? or No, but it's about uh, Ricky Casso. Um, it came out and like, well, it never came out, but there was this screener, um, I believe in the early 2000s, that had come out, like, I don't know, somebody got a VHS, because that's about the quality of the print, and it's got um, uh, Vincent Carthizer uh, in it. Um, I don't know. If oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and Patrick uh, yeah. Renna's in it and stuff. So, like, you had some, I don't okay. know if they're, like, big names or whatever, but, yeah. And uh, I know Vincent was, like, I don't know, for a while there in the early 2000s, like, he was big kind of teen heartthrob and stuff like that. And um, Did you ever see that one he did with Wood, James Woods? Oh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. it's called Another Day in yeah. Paradise. No, that's great. Something like that. I might have seen that that's on, great. like, Sundance or IFC, actually. That's a, that's some true Kino stuff, yeah. but... Uh, yeah, no, it's br- funny you're bringing up Pugipsy tapes because I was, I was gonna ask, but I know you're like more, like to stick to more official releases. But I mean, it's becoming apparent we're you know twenty, yeah. When did this come out? Two thousand. So twenty two years later, and it's you, you yet to see the light of day for whatever reason. I don't think that it'll ever yeah. get an actual release. But I have a. I have a decent rip of it that's been they I mean from a VHS that from the screener that doesn't have the time code that's kind of well, somewhat cropped off but they cleaned it up a little bit and brightened it uh, cuz some of the night scenes don't look good but there's this really epic scene at the ending um that I just like it's really I mean the whole movie's good and stuff there's a scene where he takes some L, some LSD and has a bad trip at this uh, grocery store and stuff. It's like mm-hmm. really uh, filmed well, and of course, it just comes from this era of this um, experimental independent. I feel like it's an independent film, uh, independent yeah. filmmaking style and stuff. So. No, yeah, I remember reading about Ricky Six when it was in production yeah. in magazines. Yeah, it was, believe it or not, everybody was really yeah. looking forward to it. it was really anticipated release, and then, and then it just never. Um, never got the release i don't know why there's like i i can't find any rhyme or reason yeah. to why they never put it out so yeah like i know there was this great big legend about poughkeepsie <laughs> tapes why it never came out and people were like oh it's just so this so that and it just really all it really was was it was just a cheap cash-in movie for the studio and the studio just changed their mind and they're like oh like like they put the trailers out because i saw the Kissy tapes trailer in theaters yeah. multiple times yeah. and it was just like it just never came out and like yeah it's like everybody wants to believe there's this great big story behind it and then the directors the movie did well Pugipsy tapes did well enough in terms of screenings of festivals and shit it did good enough that they started getting jobs so they just moved on from it they're like yeah it was our calling card film our student film if you will like a studio paid for it and was going to put it out and then they just didn't and like you know like Eventually, it came out like over ten years later when they got that Blu-ray from Shout Factory, Screen Factory. Yeah, I'm so, I'm yeah. looking and there's like multiple copies of Ricky Six on uh, YouTube and stuff too. So if there's if you ever want to yeah. 
you ever want to cover this in the future i would like i would yeah follow. like I'll, I'll give it a look i mean generally it's like uh, i'd like to cover things that we can inspire people to go see well they but, can uh, i mean they can go yeah, see it on youtube. on youtube it is yeah. it is it is but, accessible so you know and there was a recent like, um i can't remember if severin or uh shout one of them has the doc this new documentary acid king i know a van bevers in it uh, the Ricky mm-hmm. Castle story or whatever that came out in 2021. So it's a really good time to to talk about this because it's kind of uh, fresh on the minds of people. I don't know how far, you know. Wasn't Van Bever doing a Ricky Castle movie called, like, Say You Love Satan? He did. Or is that something he, else? He did. Yeah. Uh, he did do um, the uh, My Sweet Satan, and it's um, it was a short film he did back in the 90s. And um, it was included on the uh, the Dark Sky box set. And let me look to see if it's on the Deadbeat Arrow. I know that's your favorite company, too, Arrow. That is. Put that out is. the Blu-ray of um, uh, Deadbeat at Dawn, and it had a bunch of his short films yeah. on that. Let me see if it's on here. Roadkill's on here, Gator Green. Yep, My Sweet Satan. And I think this is... Mm-hmm. Still in print, the Deadbeat at Dawn Arrow release of uh, Deadbeat at Dawn, and it is on there, and it's from '93. So, yeah, I just have the DVD releases of Deadbeat the at box Dawn. Set? And it has... You got the box set? How, I mean, I wouldn't call it a box set. I think it's like two DVDs. I have the original Anchor Bay one, and then I have whoever put out that second like white cover one that has like, the two Deadbeat? DVDs. And the stuff. original release of Deadbeat is um, Synapse. Oh, is it? I thought it was Anchor Bay for some reason. Yeah, maybe it is Synapse. It is, it's one of yeah, Synapse. No, yeah, you're right, because we talked about this. Yeah, yeah it's Synapse. Of uh, the whole and thing it, with And Don who May. was the second one with the white cover? Was that Dark Sky put that out? Uh, Dark Sky put the box, put the... It is a. It is in a box. It's in a, like, a cardboard that my copy is. I remember buying it when it first came out, Um, and it comes with... Yeah, yeah mine is, and it's just, like, in a plastic two-disc <laughs> case. And it's got both movies? No, it just like it just has like two discs and it's Oh, um, the Deadbeat. Yeah, see what they did yeah. was they released them separately. Um Deadbeat and um Manson Family. And but then mm-hmm. early on you got this box set that came with both of them and it was basically the two individual releases in a little slip uh case type thing. But yeah, mm-hmm. what you're talking about the Manson family with the white cut it's all the same. It's just the same. You just didn't yeah. get the the, the cardboard shame on you yeah it was really it was really thin uh the slip that it went into it wasn't anything it is dark sky put it out well i'm 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 uh anticipating this chainsaw 4k release so you know i am uh waiting i'm not (laughs) yeah well whatever man like that uh the the documentaries is what i'm all about and they're actually on blu-ray so i can actually buy that oh and they've got them on pre-order on amazon right now it's not just the steelbook they have a standard uh release with a slip cover actually but they're like okay so the steelbook is like 50 some dollars and the uh standard 4k plastic release is 40 44 i think I'm gonna wait till they go down a, a smidge, at least the the standard down to like thirty dollars. I 
Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, I, Pat, I, I know you want it for the 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 documentary the and all that, truth. but I'm just like, I want to get that. Yeah, I'll but it's just like at the same time, I'm kind of like, how many times are we gonna be tricked into buying these fuckers? Well, like personally, I'm I just done. Want, uh, with, I really, I've told, I've told you, I believe that this is it for physical media. Um, 4K is the end. Yeah. And, this is a 16 Dude, I went, so, I went in such a buying frenzy three years ago, <clears throat> anticipating the death of physical media yeah. and never happened. It's just like, and they're all on the 80th release of some of these movies. I'd rather personally, I'd just rather save up some money and just buy some Vincent Gallo semen, collect that. Well, that's going to cost you a million dollars, sir. And you might as well just take that saying, money. Like, I'll and, just uh, skip this shit. Just and, finance, in 10 years, a, I'll have a million dollars. It'd be better to do a financial or, deal with him to where, like, you get a percentage yeah. of the profits and you fund his next of movie. The yeah, then yeah. just give him money for the semen and stuff. Like, yeah. But, um, no, anyway, uh, no, I'm, like, I'm picking up the stuff that, like, and I don't think that uh, 16 millimeter belongs on 4K. I don't see that, but like, it's pretty much the. I like, think you can do it, yeah. but you got to do it right, dude. You got to do it right. A lot. Well, you would know better. You have, you know, the the ultimate setup here, and and are able to look at these films and and judge them and stuff. But I watched uh, something in 4K the other day because my roommate has brought his 4K TV, and he was streaming. Uh, one of the streamers was streaming 4K. I don't know if it was full 4K, but I didn't see a huge. I was like, this doesn't look. This really doesn't look better than yeah. my 1080. I don't watching even, a Blu-ray yeah. in the back on my Samsung, and now I have. Uh, oh, I didn't tell you, I picked up a 3D Blu-ray player Samsung for 15 bucks at a resale shop. Oh, nice. Yeah, so yeah, because I, I knew your other one was getting glitchy. Well, no, so. I bought another one of those cheap Sonys uh, that doesn't. Mm -hmm. I picked this one up because it has a Wi-Fi card in it, so now I can actually be a streaming yeah. cuck. Um, on my TV now. I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah, you can stream all that cookie it, shit. Yeah, I could if I wanted to, because it has a Wi-Fi card and I've seen it had apps. But no, man, like I was watching on my Samsung actually, and it is better. The Samsung uh, Blu-ray player, like mm -hmm. the discs do look better with using it with the Samsung TV. They do look better than the Sony. I can go in there. I can actually go in there and mess with the setting. Like they have more settings like screen settings right. and stuff then uh i don't think the sony's these cheaper sony's have a, it's slightly better but like again i don't see a leaps and bounds between uh the 4k and uh regular blu-ray it's not and you even admitted that that you didn't see a significant improvement on the releases right yeah like i've i've never like into there was one movie which it was just a whatever cheap black friday horror movie I've never, like, looked at a release and been like, here's the 4K, here's the blue, I'm going to buy the blue instead. Like, I always buy the 4K version. But, honestly, it wasn't... It took many years. The first couple years of 4K, I was very disappointed, personally, in what I was seeing. Like, it was a very... Like, I could tell the difference, like, because they use different compression, and compression does make a difference. Like, it looks different. So, like, I could tell the difference between Blu-ray and uh, 4K... But it's it wasn't it wasn't really like I would say within the last two years, I started finally seeing in some 4Ks that like knocked my socks off and looked good and you know. But but then again, like my 4K uh, TV is 65 inches, and I'm sure if you had like a 4K projector that you were doing like a 150 to 200 inch screen, 
that's really the screen size. When you start blowing this shit up super huge, that's when you can really judge how good or not good it is. You know what I mean? Yeah, and then they have special. If you get like really the high, these high, some of these higher quality um, projectors also have like special screens that help um, enhance. I guess the quality of what's being projected onto them. That's what you see in the movie theaters is they're like, yeah, if you get a gray screen. screen compared to a white screen, a gray screen will always have better contrast wow, pretty much. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, I'm, I'm thinking about, um, since I got, I, well, I bought the 3d, uh, Blu-ray player because, um, you know, I've got the, I've been picking up 3d Blu-rays and you told me that they mm-hmm. don't make the TVs anymore but I could get a projector right. and project in 3D, yeah. so I would like to do that. Now, here's my question. Because I bought this 3D mm-hmm. Blu-ray player. Do these come with special glass, or do you got to buy it? Because it didn't. I, did, I had to actually buy the um, the original remote on eBay because it didn't come with it. And when I first tried yeah. it, I have my um, universal remote, and I programmed it to it. And then when I'd hit the menu, it would just take me back to the Blu-ray menu, and I'm like, or not the Blu-ray, the the player menu and not the actual disc right. menu. And I'm like, fuck, I'm going to need to get a remote. And I went online and I found the original remote for it for like 10 bucks on eBay. And I, it's yeah. already here. That's always the best thing. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Like, like you're, when it comes to 3d at home, whatever your <laughs> display device, whether you're using like, like I use, like I watched my 3d shit on my OLED, which has 3d. So like that is passive 3d. So I just use the plastic little lightweight glasses for a projector though you got to get the battery powered glasses yep. okay that's what i remember and they always that. are like they always tell you to buy this model that's like 50 bucks but it's just just kind of trial and error like with my projector which i don't have hooked up currently because i just don't have the space for it like like i i bought tons and tons of cheap uh well first of all the 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 battery glasses that were for my 1080p 3d plasma they worked with my projector I bought some lighter, smaller Samsung ones. I have an Epson projector, but I bought some Samsung. I know there's some like weird ones that say they won't work with it, but like, yeah, like I just kind of hit eBay and, and bought. Like I've never paid more than like, I think I think those Samsung ones I bought. I think they were about fifteen bucks a pair. Wow! So that's what and I like, want anyway with what I with yeah, my player. So and you put little watch batteries into them, and everybody's like, <laughs> "Oh, the batteries are more." Because I know there are some that are like are rechargeable. Yeah. Like I don't really like rechargeable batteries and stuff like video game controls and shit. Because over time the battery dies and gets weaker. Right. I just rather just have a battery I flip over the compartment. It's like. Okay, I'll throw a two dollar watch battery in there, and then it will work for two years. Like I'm cool with that. Yeah, you know I mean? obviously that seems to be better than rechargeable. So, and those yeah. watch batteries do last a long time. So yeah, they do. Like I, you know, <clears throat> I would buy a pack of them off eBay or something, and then like I would pretty much by the time I needed to play some, like the batteries I had still in the pack would like kind of be died out. That's how long they took to re. You know, they last a long time. Yeah. But no, yeah, I mean, like, 3D has really become a thing for people who have more, like, the mini, um, what do you call it, movie theater in their house now, because it's, like, since 2017, pretty much, like, you, the only place you could get 3D is a projector, but it's, like, it's, it, like, there's a few, like, really new high-tech projectors that are, like, use weird technology that don't include 3D, but up until, like, the last year or so, like, literally 99% of projectors all have 3D built in. I've noticed that. All yeah. it is... 
All it is, bat is honestly is a transmitter that's a little sync machine that syncs to your glasses because your glasses will like flash left eye, right eye, left eye, right eye. That's how the 3D works on the battery glasses. And like, I'm not shitting you. Like, 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 uh, you could add that to any TV now that uh, use the battery glasses on any TV now, and like, it would literally cost like an extra six bucks to put that in every TV. But like, they don't don't want to do it because they killed 3D. Because they're like, oh, 3D was. I think it's because they're not producing the players anymore, right? Is that what it is? No, the players you can still get. The the only ones that, and it's interesting that you have a Samsung 3D player because I have one too. So like Samsung was the first one. Like the last couple years of Samsung players like were really shitty. Like they just started stripping features out to make them cheaper and cheaper. So Samsung dropped 3D and then pretty much everybody dropped them. But like, I think the only new shit that doesn't have 3D, I think P- I think PS4, PS5, and Xbox, like whatever generation, like they don't want to do 3D because they don't want to pay the licensee. Oh. But any disc player you buy, like every single standalone disc player I have has 3D. Okay. And that's LG, Sony, Panasonic, whoever. Yeah. So. Yeah, I grabbed the Samsung because I, I saw one here recently at another resale shop. It wasn't a Samsung. It was a 3D Blu-ray player. And they wanted $35. I went on eBay and like I'm seeing them. That's like the average price. So I'm like, yeah, no. And I was in, I just went in this resale shop real quick. I, it's actually right down the street from the house. And I just went in. I always go in there occasionally. Um, I don't know, for whatever, just in case I can snag something. And there for it was fun, for yeah. 15 bucks. And I'm like, yep. And yeah. I mean, I'm like, I just know that the Samsung player will be a better upgrade anyway, and it'll accommodate my television. Um, so that's kind of why I grabbed it, and it wasn't a big deal. Like, yeah, I was looking on there, and they were like, yeah, with the remote, like 40 bucks on eBay. So buying the remote, I mean, I'm at 25. I still think I'm decent deal or whatever. And uh, but I, really, the deal breaker Dude. was that it had a Wi-Fi card in it, and that I could potentially stream i guess if i really want to go there which you know i don't i mean i'll watch it on on my computer you know if i really need to stream Dude, it, I, so. like, yeah like i know people don't want to hear this because it's like a bougie thing and whatever but but just like your experience bad like oh you got this new player and you think it's looking better like everybody's like it's it all comes in a hdmi cord it's all ones and zeros it's like it's really not there's different brands use different processing yeah. chips. There's different software that goes into it. There's all kinds of factors. So it's like you could like stock up on players, fifteen buck players, whatever, fifty dollar players, like whatever you can find that's good and works. Like I've I've got so many players and it's like there's ones I prefer more than others depending what type of disc I'm watching. And it's like Get ready for the streaming cuck apocalypse, baby. Well, yeah, no, <laughs> because no, you're, you know, you told, you put it kind of in my head, and I don't know if we're there yet, but we might be there in ten years, and we need to be conscious of this, especially if you have like a large um, media library. You really should, because mm-hmm. like it is happening. I mean, it's harder and harder to find VHS players. I still have quite a bit of VHSs, and I, you know, used to be you could go into a resale shop, there'd be ten, twenty fucking VHS players. Go into a resale shop now. There, if you're yeah. lucky, there might be one duel with a DVD player, and those things are garbage. Um, I bought mm-hmm. a couple units here uh, that are sitting in my storage. Probably isn't the greatest place for them, but um, you know, I know how to work on them and everything. So yeah, it, it's probably a good idea to start investing because yeah, the, it's really going to ha- the hammer is going to come down when the companies decide. Yeah, we're just not going to we're not going to produce the the players. 
And look at all these guys out yeah. here with beta tapes. You can't fucking mm-hmm. find a player. I mean, you, you can. You want to go pay $300 on eBay for a, probably a player that doesn't work either. You're going to have to spend some money and to ship that fucker, yeah. you know. Just that that people need to take that into consideration because like people don't think of that kind of stuff now because it's readily available. But there will come a day when it's not readily available. And I just feel like um, if the streaming shit, and it probably will because it seems to be cheaper uh, for the studios in the long run and they always want to make the most profit with like little overhead, they probably will want to go in this direction. And they're going to take the power out of your, as far as a consumer, they're going to take it right out of you. They, that's what they want. I think that they thought... I they're think, already trying yeah, to do it. Like they don't steering like... Steering you to streaming. Yeah, they don't like the fact that you can just throw that disc in for the next 20 years and keep fucking yeah. playing it without paying them. Like, you paid once. Um, and people now, I've seen this, some shows, uh, HBO is fucking laying waste to a bunch of fucking TV shows. Yeah. And people are going... Uh, Westworld, I see, is get they had gotten greenlit yeah. for another season. They're they're putting a kibosh on that. Uh, that is actually out on physical media, though. But they're all like, "Oh no, yeah. Westworld's gone. This other show is gone is gone." And it's like, "Yeah, well, that's a prime example of why this is dangerous and why you shouldn't support this." You know, because they could just pull it any day that they decide to, and well, there's nothing well, not you can like do that, about but... it. But movie hoarders like us who 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 value the physical media because it's going to be there, and people are like, "Oh, you think Apple's going out of business?" It's like, no, I don't think no. Apple's going out of business. I think that movie that you like to watch on there could just disappear by itself. Right? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. But but, but the truth, you know, streaming stream. You know, we need to wrap this up. Yeah. We're almost going on three hours. But you know, this is truly shit. We should be saving for movie hoarders. But I'll just leave people on this note. You like streaming, you don't like streaming, you don't whatever, you know, I use it every day. I don't really care about it. I don't have emotional attachment to it. I realize it is a failure financially. Just do some research. You will realize streaming is, it's, maybe it's the future 30 years from now. It's not now. It's a failure right now. But one thing I will say is, getting back to stock up on players, is physical media ain't dying today, tomorrow, two years from now. But the thing about it is, is like, you know, you could turn this streaming shit off tomorrow. It could all die tomorrow. I've got 2,000 discs I'm sitting on. I can watch anytime I want to. But I need something to play them in. And like I was telling you, Bat, is like you buy a player, it will last for a long time. At least it should. I've only had one player die on me ever. Um, and it was a cheapo one that was region free, and I just used it for certain things, but it eventually it went out. But like maybe the electrical board will go out, Bat. Maybe your HDMI port will get funny. Maybe like maybe maybe that won't ship. But one thing, a hundred percent of the time, just like every hard drive will always fail, because it's a it's a well the old school hard drive hard drives with the needle in them and shit. They all fail eventually. A Blu-ray player, DVD player, 4K player, whatever gaming system, it's the same thing. You've got a spinning moving part. It's gonna wear out yeah. eventually. This looks like a you, tire on you, your you, car. I mean, you know, like, I mean, I'm not trying to alarm people or whatever, but, but like you bet you picked up a player for 15 bucks, which is perfectly functional. It's good. You like it. Mm -hmm. Do that while you can do that. Yeah. (laughs) Because at the end of the day, like if you're, I've got three players now, right. I've been buying them lately. I've just, even the cheapo Sony that doesn't have a Wi-Fi card because I know it will play my disc. It's going to play the disc, and that's what that's the purpose of it at the end of the day. That's, that's what you want it to yeah. do is play the disc. Like, If you want streaming, you can go buy a Roku 
and you're going to continue to yeah. be able to buy those all day. Go buy the Roku yeah. for the streaming. I mean, it's great that you know it does that, and that's kind of was you know deal breaker for the for the Samsung. But yeah, absolutely, yeah. you're right. And stock up on them while they're cheap, because like I never thought yeah. there'd be a day when I'd walk into the resale shop and not find five, ten fucking VHS players, and it happened like about three years ago. And now they're really yeah. they're really hard to find, and it's just because like uh, there is still stuff that I have that hasn't come out on a physical, like, uh, digital format. And there's stuff from, like, yeah. um, short films I made that I only have on VHS. Like, stuff for that personal right. stuff um, that I have that I I really need to... People are like, well, why don't you convert it over? Yeah, I need to do that, obviously, and it costs money. And it's like, you know, I haven't gotten to there yet. But, like, yeah, I mean, I that's why I still need that, you know, um, around, so... Yeah, and it's 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 just like the thing of like even if you're not a movie hoarder like me or like Bat is now addicted to it again, even if you're not sitting on two thousand disc, whatever, three thousand disc, and there's people on YouTube that have twenty thousand discs, like yeah. it's just fucking insane. But even if you're just somebody sitting on two hundred, three hundred disc, which I know that sounds like a lot, but it's really not if you've been collecting for like ten years, you know? It's just like if you're sitting on hundreds of discs shit i'll even say 50 discs that you pay 20 dollars a pop on right and you got one player in your whole house and like you're just like yeah that player's probably gonna last a long time but if there's nothing available to replace it when it breaks you're fucked throw your whole collection in the trash and like let's be honest like we're in we're you know everybody's like we're in the end game now physical media is dying streaming no we're in the end game of us because we're people bat and we ain't going to live forever and me and you definitely aren't the most healthy people (laughs) i just need enough players stocked up in my house to get me through the next 25 years because that's probably only as long as i'm going to live yeah if i live to 70 dude i'll be happy you know what i mean right absolutely and it's just like it's like you know i have players now that i bought 20 years ago that still work so buy something now. Buy something either new or use that still in good shape. Don't have fucking potato chips all over it. You know? And just enjoy your life. You don't have to physical media will die and will probably die in our lifetime, but I'll have what I need. So just live that way, you know? Right. You know, like my whole thing is like I I'm not pushing like you know, I'm saying like four K I'm done I'm personally done because the majority of the films that um I really like are were shot in sixteen millimeters. Um, you know, so I don't see uh, a reason to go beyond 4K for a lot of these films. And even the ones that weren't shot in uh, 16 that were just like the materials were poorly stored and stuff, they're not going to get any better yeah. after 4K either, even if they were shot on 35mm. No. The big Hollywood movies, like, oh, I was telling you I picked up that um, – uh, uh, a couple of these have you know studio films here that were like older releases and they look great but that that's only because like uh you know someone of a spielberg like the studio had hindsight enough to store it properly and they were like oh this is a big right. money maker we need to we need to take precautions on the, you know this film or that film it's like not every film has been stored like i don't even know how the exactly. texas chainsaw massacre was stored that well cuz that seemed like a throwaway piece of shit and uh you know the, the apparently the materials look great that's why i have high hopes for this 4k sir because of what don made well, that I the hope it works out for you. you know the elements <laughs> looked amazing so 
I hope I hope it's good. I gen I honestly do. You'll get but... it. Don't play. You'll get it when it comes down to the right <sighs> price. Uh, I don't think it'll come down any further than twenty twenty five though. But uh... but I gotta say though, it's like like I jumped at the chance to upgrade DVDs from Blu Ray because by the time Blu Ray came around, well, not even well, yeah, well, by the time Blu Ray, but well, like once I got a ten eighty p TV and I saw how shitty DVD looked. I want it, but like if I have a Blu-ray copy that looks halfway decent on my shelf, it's hard to to shell out thirty, forty dollars to replace. Right. It. Like honestly, because because that's the thing is like I've been spending some good money here the last two years being bored as fuck during the <laughs> pandemic. Right. But before before the pandemic, bat I rarely, rarely like I could count on a on a hand one you know on one hand each year how many times I spent more than fifteen bucks on a release. Blu-ray was a great format, dude. It was a great. It was like the great format. Like I played less for my Blu-rays than I did for my DVDs for the most part. Like it was a great format in terms of quality mm. was meeting a low price. It just was great, man. And it's still great because these things, you're getting them on average. I mean, if you're not buying from a boutique, you can get these things for pretty much what Buffalo 66 costs, about 10 bucks a pop, um, even sometimes cheaper. If you go to resale shops, uh, they don't know what the fuck's going on. They're like three, four bucks. Yeah. I mean, I just got a bunch yeah. of uh, – I went in and um, I always like to buy the HD – like a lot of people are like, why do you buy the HD kids movies? I don't know because I want my son to be able to view it in the highest – quality yeah. format so um uh those hotel transylvania uh animated movies mm-hmm. like they had all they had like i guess there's a fourth one but they had like three all three yeah. of them they had uh well two of them had the slip cases and you know i'm trying to you know uh raise him to be a cardboard cuck so you know appreciation <laughs> for the cardboard you're passing it for yeah, generations he's, he's gonna be a no yeah like I, I bought um I bought Hotel Transylvania one and two in three D a few months ago to have them oh, ready to go for 3D. Halloween. Wow, he would love that. Yeah, the first two. I watched the first one in three D, and um, really the three D made the animation beautiful. On oh, it, honestly, I could only imagine really that. Uh, yeah, so we. I really, I think I enjoyed the first one more than he he got into it. Then watched the second yeah. one that was like, and he was got distracted. I mean, he's two, you know, he's running around. Three he didn't yeah. even give a fuck about, and I really didn't either. But no, they were good. Like I, I the first one definitely yeah. got, got my attention. I've only seen the first one, fun. but I enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, yeah. So, but yeah, no, I got those for like three bucks a piece. So, and the Toy Story uh, mm-hmm. Halloween short one, which had the cardboard. Oh, okay, yeah, I've never seen that one. Yeah, that's pretty good. Um, we had a rip of it actually that we'd watch because I was like, well, why the fuck would I want to buy this? <laughs> it's only twenty some minutes, and he really yeah, liked yeah. it. So I'm like, well, for three bucks, and I looked on the back, and there were like three other little um toy story shorts that were included that yeah. I, we'd never we hadn't seen i think they were like 10 minutes long and they were fun and yeah he just mm-hmm. loves it so it's hard to find stuff that he really likes but he'll sit i the ice age movies he'll like sit on the end of my bed mm-hmm. with cr- cross-legged like glued to it and um uh toy story anything toy story he's like glued to it um I don't know what it is, so when anything I can find that uh, will keep him occupied and like quiet and chilled, uh, w- yeah, it's a win on my end. So yeah, <clears throat> yeah, just just to have that time to you know watch something that together that you both will enjoy, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I try to throw in shit that like I liked when I was 
you know, young and it just doesn't right. seem to work for him. Like I did, I like, you know, live action stuff too, as well. I try to put on live action. So I'm like, Oh, I love this when I was your age. You'll, you I'm sure you'll love it too. And he's like, he's like, what the fuck is this? So I'm going to go play with yeah. my cars. Like, you know, he doesn't care. So, but anything animated, uh, really gets, gets his attention. Will it keep his attention? Well, that's the question, you know? Yeah. So, it's always a crapshoot. But yeah, so we are going to get out of here like a minute shy of three hours. I think we did pretty good for all the keynote hey. that Vincent Gallo and his sperm sales have generated. Um, so yeah, so bad. Obviously, I want to thank you for... Because uh, honestly, like before this podcast is done, I want to try and cover some of my most favorite films. And this is obviously a top five, probably maybe a top three favorite film of mine. So Yo, you surprised. really gave me a that yeah. you you well i'm not surprised because you do have an eye for kino and stuff like that but i i just never heard anybody talk about it, so when i brought it up that one time um and you said oh my god I, that film's so great and you like that and i'm like oh fuck yeah i love that yeah. movie of course you know so it's awesome everybody should see it so this was a great opportunity to celebrate kino we are kicking off right now in 2023 the rebirth of kino and 2023 is the year where Kino wins again. So it should be good if you have me back on again. Um, we can cover more stuff. Maybe we could cover uh, Palookaville and uh, a lot of the stuff. I would we, love to do Palookaville. We mentioned like uh, Welcome to the Dollhouse. A lot of stuff that was coming out in the 90s, uh, throughout the 90s and stuff that was like pure Kino um, would be great for the year of 2023. Exactly. We're bringing it back. <clears throat> so until next time. Everybody, thanks for listening. We'll catch you right back here in the movie graveyard.